No, they know you never talk about your money. Right, so at Liverpool in the 80s, you, you'd no idea. No, no. Well, we, the only idea was that Kenny was on far more than he was. <laughs> <laughs> Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. 7.30 Friday morning. A very good morning to you. How are you getting on? Hope all is well. Owen, how are you doing? Good, Adrian. What's the crack? Colm, how are you going? Adrian, Owen, good morning. Uh, what, what are we talking about was the comment that was just made there. So um, there's a few bits of pieces to get into it, needless to say. I did find myself watching the golf last night, I have to say, and uh, it was like a battle for, of good versus evil. Jeremiah phrased it as the battle for golf soul, looking at it last night. I don't know how you lads felt about it, but I was in the uh, good versus evil, um, uh, dark versus light. The Phil Mickelson, um, I really hope he misses this put, DJ, willing against all the live golf lads, I have to say, which was something that almost caught myself by surprise. Um, you know, whenever McDowell, oh no, hang on a second, he is um, not good enough to get anywhere near that field. Um, the other players, um, Rory, JT particularly, are very much warm to, and John Ram, after his comments during mm-hmm. the week. I've suddenly found myself really, I, I caught myself unawares, and I have to be honest about it, I was really cheering on the non, the anti-live crew. That's what will happen, I want it. It's like the, uh, for the attitude era fans of WWF, it's like the invasion era. WWF versus WCW. That's what it's like. I'm sure. I'm honestly, that's honestly what it's like. I just realised that that's exactly what it's like. Liv Tor against PGA Tor. Yeah, I, uh, I, I kind of the same as you and couldn't help but loving Roy McIlroy's um, choice of polo shirt. Very nice. Very, very nice. Very flash. You'd wear it yourself, I'd say. Oh, do you know? Funny I could. I thought you were, when you said it was like a battle for the soul of golf soul, you were talking about Adam Hadwin versus Callum Tarrant as like the greatest. <laughs> People he'd never heard of 24 of hours ago. What a what an absolute blockbuster leaderboard it is uh, that we're facing into this weekend. I'm sure it'll uh, mix it up. Like, do we want to see Dustin Johnson rocking up that leaderboard? And uh, contend and then, against Rory over the next couple of days. Oh, like, I think that's that, the best case scenario, isn't it? it? You can't have a battle for good versus evil if evil is just doing really badly, which most of them are at the minute. Yeah, uh, it would be. It'd be. You know, there's, it's scant pleasure. It's brief pleasure. You kind of you do want one of them to be up there, and if it's going to be anybody, well, it's not going to be Phil anyway. By the looks of things, um, it should be him. Anybody who isn't uh, uh, fully off air with the leaderboard of the U.S. Open, Adam Hadwin of Canada, four hundred par leading the way. Callum Tarran, thirty-one year old from Darlington, who's nobody ever, nobody has ever heard of before, ever. He played in the US Open once a few years ago, and that's yeah. been about it. That's uh, his only major appearance before in 2019. Missed the cut, world number 445. Uh, his clubs arrived late, uh, just as they did in 2019. US Open is only other major. But what a start. 300 par alongside uh, Rory McElroy and others. Um, and uh, Matt Fitzpatrick trucking along nicely there, 200 par. And uh, John Ram, our new best mate, uh, 100 par. So that's the way uh, that stacks up. It's a bit of a mad weekend of sport. In uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on. Not all of it sort of top tier, top tier sport. The URC final is going to come and go. I have to say, and I ain't going to be watching it. No. No. What, what if SKG um, convinces you otherwise? Uh, what uh, six thirty on a Saturday evening is the yeah. reason why you're not watching it? It'll like be it'll be amongst the reasons, yeah. I mean, obviously, if Lens were playing, I'd be cutting a cutting a path to it. Um, I thought that's like the pretty Irish provinces. Uh, it's just I can't, I just can't muster the. Like, in any given weekend, I'd say for most of us, and it's definitely true in my case, you have to sort of be able to pick and choose what you're going to watch. So some stuff that you should be watching is going to get left on the cutting room floor, and that's the case for me. It's not going to be. There's no cheeseboard territory there. On it's. Um, are you going to watch it? 
No, I'm just wondering what you're uh, half six on a Saturday evening. Like that's if that's a substantial reason for not watching it. Like that feels well, weird. I could think that that's a, re- a good kickoff time. No, you, you know, I don't feel that strongly about. I don't feel that well towards uh, second screening. It might be one for second screening that I wouldn't really need to watch it because you'd be watching the US Open at that time. Okay, fair. It's, fair it's the US Open's going to win that battle all day long. Um, it's the yeah, first like weekend in many that it's that overwhelming the sporting the, schedule, isn't it? Like, doable. Yeah. I think the URC final is, is a, like is it's not like a really good moment uh, to use that phrase for right, the, the URC. Like this is uh, the thing that we've been crying out for for there to be actual good teams coming in from uh, South Africa who are actually going to challenge Leinster, and we got that last Friday. And like, is this just a, a sour Leinster man who can't no. possibly watch a team who's well, beaten his I would understand Dublin boys? Why you would say that? Referenced on our Twitter account during the week. What was this? Uh, referring to Leinster as a Dublin team has. Uh, oh wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There we go. The Dublin team. Um, no, if they were playing any of the Irish provinces, I'd probably be watching it. It's again, you just need that bit of no more than the previous point. You need that bit of them versus us sort of stuff. It's like two South African teams. Who really cares? You're absolutely right to say that it is good, obviously, for the tournament that South African team is now going to go ahead and win it, and that ultimately creates a bit of we need to beat them next year about it, but not for this weekend. Like when you know something has to go, it's going to be that Talton Cup, of course, on uh, this weekend semi-finals. Um, it is. It's. It's. It feels to me we're starting to get a good sense of where the Talton Cup is at. I think because everybody was kind of unsure, and I didn't really put my finger on it properly until I heard Jack Cooney talking to Will during the week and saying that even as a squad they were unsure about how up for it they were going to be. Like what was their relationship with this tournament, and we're only going to start to figure that out now as we get to the latter stages of it. But I think it's a good weekend for um, the uh, non elitists amongst the GA in the sense that like at last and I know look at this the big argument about Crow Park and I get that and I'm sure there are plenty of reasons that we might hear from Crow Park at some point about as to why games need to be played there in terms of season ticket holders and 10 year ticket holders and all that sort of stuff um, but it does feel as if we're starting to get um, you know a bit of traction for the second tier teams the ones that you know like the 25 teams plus in any given year who had never had any chance of winning Sam Maguire the Lee McCarthy like the biggest trick that the G ever pulled was having those teams Sit in studios like this, say that um, they still had a, they still had some hope of winning those tournaments. So I just think it's great. I think that um, we've looked at the GA for too many years through the lens of the top six or seven teams, um, and it's a great breakthrough. That is a good starting point. Um, it'll never really, I don't think, have the cut through of uh, you know Sam Maguire championship let's say you know in the sense that like I look at my own group and there'll be some of them going along I'd say on Sunday and more of them who would go if it was a Leinster final or you know the latter stages of the championship I don't think the Talton Cup is ever going to have that level of breakthrough the championship is never going to be the Premier League and anything that's a second tier competition is never going to have that so to to compare with the the championship and the Sam Maguire race is just uh, I hope people aren't doing that because that's just uh, totally pointless uh, what you can get is just amazing games and brilliant excitement as we've seen in the last round with that penalty shootout and controversy and talking points and uh, I would say all of a sudden we're, we're starting to get to know these teams a little bit better like the Crow Park thing is interesting you mentioned it there it's just been kind of bored of the Crow Park conversation at this point every week it's like why are games being played in Crow Park Andy Moran was on the show during the week and says it's fantastic for the Talton Cup semi-finals to be played there I accept the fact though that maybe for Westmeath it's probably boring at this stage Crow Park probably is I wouldn't say so you mean, there every uh, year. Do, do you mean that facetiously no not at all uh, like uh, not, not boring maybe boring is the wrong phrase but like the whole point of Andy Moran's point during the week was that uh, this is something of a novelty for some of these players to be able to play in Croke Park. It's an opportunity 
Westmead don't need another opportunity to play in Croke Park so maybe they'll be the ones who will feel that this would be better in a smaller provincial ground but as I say I'm sick of having these conversations no exactly and, and look at they're also not quite Dublin right like there is definitely the play, there is a difference between the players perception of the game and the fans perception of it and you're right let's not talk about that anymore I do think as well we should tip the cap for sure to John Mahon this weekend as well like because I know we had him on a couple of years ago when he took on the Offaly gig it had been 10 years I had to remind myself this morning 10 years since he's been charged of the Rosses and he's come back and he's breathed fresh new life into Offaly fresh new life into his own managerial career and he's shown with the people that he's brought in around him that it can be done that you can you know he, he we assumed belonged to another era of GEA where there was far less tactics and far less of this professional approach but he's let's absolutely uh, doff the cap to John Mann this morning and the job that he's done and like obviously not that much luck to him this weekend but whatever happens from here it's a big progress Are you, are you going this Sunday? I can't go but um, oh. I will be watching it because it's on the telly I have nieces of mine going to the Sligo match. They're from uh, Sligo, well, they're raising Sligo. Yeah. yeah. So um, it's good because, like, this this deep into the GAA season, I know we're, everything's earlier this year in the actual calendar, but deep into the GAA calendar season, as uh, Sligo fans to be able to go to Crow Park and watch a meaningful match, like to get into a final, is brilliant. So mm. doesn't the Touch Cup fulfil its purpose for that alone? Well, and that was one of the points that Jack Cooney made that the younger fans going to Crow Park is exactly. They're very excited about it. It's yeah. brilliant for them. It's uh, their All Ireland, you yeah. know, that's what they see it as. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also progression for the team as well. I'm I'm sure from the manager's point of view that they're looking at it from all four teams this weekend and saying we're another few games down the track we know a bit more about our players a bit more about our teams and by and large I'm sure whoever goes into the final will be have squads that have largely committed to it and I know um, Offaly have a couple of injuries this weekend so not fully stacked but um, for the Westmead Cavan final on I expect that you know there'll be a bit of, bit of fuss about it there will be yeah the, the, we are, like I'm trying to think we've got Arthur on the quiz a little bit later on where we have some sort of like Sligo slander to, to throw you away for that I'm just trying to stu- stu- wouldn't, be Arthur's, wouldn't be Arthur's trying to be fair he's not as classless as I am well that's very true I'm trying to think of how we stoke up some Talton Cup rivalry in this office right now because that's that's when the summer will really peak um, Fergus Kyo at this uh, comment is the comment of the morning and probably will be until 10 uh, URC finally asks two South African teams about whom I know nothing nor care less doesn't even merit uh, Marit Avashkiri, which is the uh, French, of course, for the laughing cow. Lovely little bit of soft cheese uh-huh. for your kids. Uh, like, obviously, there's a, a big Irish tint to our conversations around the URC. Should should we be more of a URC-centric show rather than an Irish-centric show and uh, pay our due deference to the South African teams and pay them as much respect? Adrian's shaking his head here in studio. Well, we get an opportunity to do that in the coming up. Slash that people will see. Uh, before that, John O'Leary says, "Is the semi-final of the Talton Cup cheese board territory, or is this where Adrian dresses down and prepares to slum it in Crow Park?" Neither turns out he won't support his beloved URC, and he won't support his beloved. I've West been Meads to see Westmead two times this year. I'd love oh. to be there on uh, Sunday, but other other things uh, dictate I can't be. So no cheese board events. Yeah, events, dear boy. Uh, 20 to 8, Friday morning, and you're very welcome along to us, and thanks for all those comments. Do keep them coming into us over the course of the morning. We've Kevin Kilban, uh, who's going to chat to us. He's going to put a bookend on all the Ireland chat after that uh, recent cluster of games. We'll get Kevin's thoughts on all of that, and uh, we'll get his ranking as well of uh, his goal, Ireland goals um, from the window just gone. Uh, Roisin Upton, Ireland hockey player, World Cup kicks off in a couple of weeks' time. Roisin will be in studio uh, to tell us how prep has gone for that, and can they repeat the heroics of 2018. Get Russian thoughts on that uh, in just a few moments. Get back into the GEA. Who have we got for quick picks? 
Quick picks is uh, Adrian versus Owen versus Will versus Ashling. Oh, very good. That is uh, ten past eight. Sports news at half past eight this morning here on OTBAM. We'll have the URC with SKG Stephen Kisby Green, resident African rugby expert, will be in studio to tell us uh, three reasons why you need to watch the URC final this weekend, this Saturday evening. Alan Quinlan, uh, we'll get him to pick his uh, what he thinks should be the Ireland starting fifteen for the first test against New Zealand upcoming. Live crappy quiz, myself versus Arthur versus JD. It's a real showdown at ten past nine this morning. And then David Collins from the show uh, last night. What are you laughing about? <laughs> Just the, the real showdown. It's a good choice of words. That's it, all. It's a showdown that the David outcome Collins is almost, being Nathan's father. Yes, very good chat with uh, David Collins on uh, last night's show with the other Nathan. That's half past nine. So OTBM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. As I said, do keep those comments coming into us uh, over the course of the morning with you between now and ten. And uh, thanks as well, I should mention, to our OTBM partners, Gillette. We have a Gillette Labs heated razor to give away for Father's Day. You can just like and share uh, the post that's up on our social channels. Went out a little bit earlier on, so you won't have a huge amount of scrolling to do. Uh, you can be in with a chance to win the perfect Father's Father's Day Prize. Up next, we're going to be um, hearing... Up next, here is the <laughs> former Ireland international, Kevin Cavallo, reflecting on the job that Stephen Kenny has done in the past fortnight. OTB AM. All right, it is... Uh, we wanted to bookend the end of the uh, international window, end of a cluster of games, obviously, for the Republic of Ireland. And uh, to do just that, there's only one man we could ask on board. Kevin, good morning to you. Good morning, Adrian. How are you doing? Good. How are you going? Everything's great. Everything's the, really good, actually. Yeah. What's the schedule of uh, classic games of the weekend? Um, I've got a bit of MLS action this week. I've, I've actually done the World Cup playoffs this week, which was quite interesting. Watching the games, I did uh, Peru against Australia on Monday, and what a game. Costa Rica against New Zealand. Well, they were actually weren't classics, as you maybe can well imagine, with a lack of goals in the game. But they were interesting to do anyway. They were mm. interesting games to do, and I'm, I'm looking at it in genuinely in comparison to to where Ireland are in the world rankings. Costa Rica are, are ranked, what, 31 in the world, I think. Peru ranked 22. Uh, judging from what I've seen in the last couple of games, especially, we're well beyond those teams. And the, the rankings are always, you, you always look at the rankings sometimes and think, how are some sides in certain positions? But some of the teams that you see, particularly when I've watched a lot of the CONCACAF region here, Mexico are up around the top 10, so the US and from what I've seen, uh, I, I don't see any reason why we can't get anywhere near those teams. Well, it depends on, you mentioned like benchmarking are off the last two games. I'm with you. Yeah. Obviously the first two games, not so great. So your overall view then yeah. on like whether what we've seen now over the last four games it, collectively is the growing pains almost of a, a team who are on the up uh, and, and an upward curve of improving football that will hopefully lead to improving results or are they more, or are the first two games particularly more of a Cause for concern for you? Um, probably a bit of both. Are we any clearer over the last four games? I think the last two games has given us real optimism again. I Was it Lithuania we played at the end of the last window and we finished that with thinking, right, here we go again. Troy Parrott scored that late goal. And, and then looking across the course of the last six or seven prior to that, we felt as though that the team was moving forward. I certainly felt that anyway. Uh, I know I've not really been on with you guys talking around around then. It's, it's been difficult really to get on to fit it in time wise. But I don't. Well, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. No, you just don't pay enough. But anyway, um, <laughs> um, but no, no, genuinely, um, I think it's been. I think it has been very good, hasn't it? I think we all accepted that, and we will look forward to this Armenia game. And honestly, 
I, I was disappointed, of course, like many was disappointed, but I kind of understood. I was actually quite impressed for the first 20 minutes. The first half maybe petered out a little bit from 20, 25 minutes onwards. But the way that we started the game, I felt that we, we got in behind Armenia. I felt that Josh Cullen was on the ball early. He was trying to pass forward and pl- we would play on the front foot. I, I remember a pass early on from Nathan Collins, a longer ball. Ogben has good movement. Ogbeni played very well for the first 25 minutes of that game. And I felt there was, you know, there's something to play on it. It was just the second half. And realistically, when you look at it, end of season like it was, the lads trying to get go again, the heat, there's a lot of extenuating circumstances, wasn't there? Why that game probably turned out the way that it did. Disappointing nonetheless, really disappointing second half. We just didn't get going. The shape of the team looked wrong. I think distances all over the pitch looked, looked quite poor. And the most disappointing thing out of everything was that was the Ukraine game because you know, you look for a response, we come back home, we've had that 90 minutes under our belt. There was a lot of players and personnel that have played the game. Yes, travel, don't get me wrong, takes it out of players. Maybe there could have been one or two more changes in, in that game, uh, in, 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 in the Ukraine game. I think Stephen Kenny might look at that himself and maybe feel as though he could have made one or two more changes. But they were flat and there was no tempo in the game. There was nothing really for me to... Look back on that game. I know you, you, you were there with your son, Adrian, wasn't you? Weren't you at the game? But yeah. there was nothing in that game where I felt. I don't know. We had we had we had more shots. I think we had more shots at goal, certainly at goal, whether they're on target or not, than we had across the, the, the Scotland game. But there was no. I didn't. I don't think that the, the the distances was right. The shape looked off. The players didn't look like they were prepared to make a tackle. We were too easily played through at home after a performance like Armenia. I expected a response and. I don't think we got that, but clearly, clearly in the Scotland game, I think we saw the character. I think we saw maybe close to what Stephen Kenny will be looking at towards his, his strongest 11 in, in, the, in that game. And then we took that into the, into the second Ukraine game. And I, I was really pleased. Kevin, it's been a roller coaster, less than a fortnight. You go back to lunchtime on the Saturday Irish time, just before the Armenia match. And I can't remember a more positive feeling towards Stephen Kenny's team. Then you fast forward to after the first Ukraine game. And it was, I was saying during the week, Kev, like I'd say 99% of the comments coming in to OTBAM on that Wednesday morning was Kenny's got to go. He's got to go. Yeah. Then the next two games, we're back to here. We're back to, oh, it's brilliant. It's really positive. Where do you, where do you stand on the Stephen Kenny reign after a tumultuous fortnight? No, I think, I, I, you know what? I think as, you know what, Colm, as, as, as ex-players, I honestly think there's maybe a, a more of an obligation for us to be a little bit more supportive of the team. I do feel that, and certainly of the manager as well. You know, I, I, we're all going to have an opinion about who's playing well and who should be in the team and, and things like that. But ultimately, when the team starts, we have to be supportive. And that was a disappointing thing for me watching the Ukraine game. And even, you know, sometimes, you know, I, even I can be quite vocal, especially if I've had a beer on Twitter at times, which maybe I should shut my mouth, but... Um, when you're watching games at times, you kind of get into them. You get into the swing of it, don't you? You, you throw something out there, and you, when you're disappointed watching the team. But I think across, in answer to your question, Colin, across his reign, I think there has been steady improvement. We have to, we have to say that there has been. I think he was given the extension to his contract because of that. I think we accepted there was more to come from these players. We, we maybe get into one or two individuals uh, in in a while, but I think overall it has been positive. But I think a majority of the games that we've played, first half of games has been my big disappointment. But 
looking at Ukraine the other night and looking at maybe this window column, look at how we started the game. And it's, you know, it's simplistic. It's simple to say, but we've actually rolled the ball back to Nathan Collins or Shane Duffy, whoever it was. We've gone long, played in their half to start the game. It gets the crowd up. We're always going to play a different style of football as it is. When the ball is circulated, I think we won a corner in the first couple of minutes against Ukraine, got the team right on the front foot. I think we had a foul early on. We would, we ended up getting a good attacks down the right-hand side. It, it's positive starts. I don't think we saw that early on from Stephen Kenny. And watching the team play early on, that was a disappointing thing from my point of view was, look, we are going to um, see a different style of football, but where is that little bit of bite in the tackles? Where is it going to come from? And I'd look primarily really at, at someone like Jason Malumbi. I don't think he's been amazing in the last couple of games. I think he's played well, but look at him in the Scotland game, biting into tackles, really ferocious, getting around the pitch and, and covering the ground really well, which he does. I think early on when he first got into the team, and I have total sympathy with this because I did exactly the same when I first came as, as a young player. You feel though maybe you try and do something different. You try and adapt your game a little bit. And I think he felt as though, I, I felt watching Malumbi, he had to be on the ball more, had to, you know, get it and make things tick over. That's, in my opinion, that's maybe Josh Cullen's job behind him. You can see they clearly have a good relationship. And it's almost as if, Malumbi's best game is when the old adage of earn the right to play, go and put your foot in, be aggressive. And he has that in abundance. And I think when he does that, he can then let the rest of his game take shape off the back of it. And that's been the standout thing I feel maybe in the last six or eight, take those, take the uh, Armenia and, and Ukraine game out. I think it's been more aggressive without the ball. And if I look across maybe his reign, our best performances, even the Scotland game, even Ukraine the other night, a majority of the best performance we've we've had less of the ball, which is quite surprising when you look at the performances we've had. And even Ukraine the other night, we had I think we only had about forty percent possession, but we were their equal. We were Ukraine's equal in the final third with our threat. That was certainly the case against Scotland. We were way more of a threat than Scotland. And I won't have people saying to me Scotland were, were that bad that helped us play well, which I can take your argument. They were bad, but how many times have we played against sides that haven't been great and we've just kind of played to their level? We had to raise that level and we haven't seen that enough. And that was great to see, particularly with it being at home, with the response that was needed after the Ukraine game. All right. Everyone's been asked, so I have to ask you. Uh, Nathan Collins, Michael Abafemi mm -hmm. or Troy Parrish, your favourite goal of this window? Rank them. Uh, rank them. Uh, Better again, I, I, our ranking. Speak no, do you know what? I, I, before I start, I, I messaged Nathan earlier on. We, we've got amazing coverage here now in Canada with the, the zone have picked up the Nations League rights. And I was always scratching around trying to get an Ireland game over the last year or two, trying to, as you well know yourself, Colin, Adrian, you're trying to get dodgy feeds to try to watch a game. And, and then you try, and if you miss a game or miss certain parts of the game, it's difficult to watch back. But this, we have amazing coverage here now. But last night I flipped the zone on here and, they have a top 10 of this, this current uh, Nation League window, top 10 goals. And surprisingly, honestly, Nathan Collins is in at four. He's he, the fourth best goal. Obafemi was at six. There were some goals that were in there. Like, Troy Parrots wasn't even in the top 10. And ah, they, no. had, um, they had, they had, they had uh, Erling Haaland's goal against, uh, I think it was Sweden, I think it was, the, the ball across the six-yard box, and it was a tap-in. Like, it was, however, they, they, they want to get the big names in, obviously. Um, but I wasn't having it. But in answer to your question, in answer to your question, um, in what order? Well, Nathan Collins' goal, it, it's so unique, isn't it? I think that's it. I think Obafemi's was as well, but 
I mean, judging watching Ireland over the years, they're all unique goals. I have to say that. But Collins is special, isn't it? Given that he's a defender, stepping in. And I heard your analysis yesterday when you were talking with Johnny on a, or the other day, sorry, a column. And there was very few options for him to do what he actually did. So it was very instinctive. He got a little bit of luck with the bobble. He could have gone with his left foot, but he really had to go with his right foot to finish it. So everything kind of took place. So I think it was a special goal. Obafemi's, I think, honestly, could have gone into Roll Z. And if it had gone in Roll Z, it, it was a hit. It was a hit and hope almost. You know, there was a lot of feel to it and it was a great goal. Don't get me wrong, but I, I'd have to go with Collins. And number two, I'd probably have to say Pop Parrot and Obafemi three. That's what I would say. It's a sound. It's a sound ranking. You've got two minutes before you have to go on to your next media appointment. So there's one thing that I want to ask before we go, which is this uh, narrative that's <laughs> taken on about um, the Duffy versus Collins bit, right? So forgetting about the goal for a second, and like yeah. whether having Collins in the team can shape and and t- change the shape of the team uh, and the mindset of the team and the tactics of the team in terms of not having to play as deep to cope with the lack of pace from Duffy. Your thoughts on that? Um. I think Shane Duffy is going to be under a bit of pressure now, more pressure than probably probably we all thought. We know his threat from set pieces. We know that he carries that for us. Uh, I haven't really seen it enough from Nathan Collins whether he can carry the same sort of threat. But Collins' all-round game over the four games, uh, it, it was incredible to watch his development. I spoke earlier on even uh, saying to you before about the Armenia game. I felt his distribution from back to front was so good in that Armenia game in the first 20 minutes. You know, even his long pass, his, his short passing, so, so good. I think he's reading of the game, as we saw, for stepping in in, in the goal that he scored. Um, so, it, 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 I mean, we've clearly seen that Collins can play right side of the three centre-halves, but is he going to get Coleman in? Is he going to get Omobamadeli when he's fit back in there? Because um, um, Doherty is clearly going to start at right wing back. He's our best player in that position and has to start there unless he can put Doherty at left wing back, which he's probably still causing a bit, a few problems for us. McLean was brilliant against Scotland. I thought absolutely brilliant. It was exactly what was needed, but that's a problem position for us. I'm sorry to, to go off on a tangent here, Adrian, but uh, I think Duffy's under pressure now. I do think he's under a bit of pressure because I think Collins... In my opinion, if I'm looking at world players like him, you know, I, I, I looked at Matthias De Ligt and look at those two similar ages. De Ligt gets a, a 100 million move to, to Juventus from Ajax. And th- there's very little when you're looking at them. I know De Ligt has got more experience and people laugh at you when you say things like this, but he, he's very much like De Ligt in how he plays. Very aggressive at times when need be. Maybe could be more aggressive. And I think that's the case with De Ligt as well. But he's so good on the ball that... You see him dropping off and he makes things look very easy. And I'm listening to some of the guys of the day comparing him with Van Dyke. But if he continues like this, we know he potentially could be an all-time great. You know, he's got the pace of Richard Dunn. Richard Dunn was absolutely the best defender I played with alongside throughout my career. And, you know, if he goes on to do half half what Richard Dunn has done, then we've, we've got a real prospect on our hands. Yeah, we have. Yeah. I'll be expecting those worldies every week. We'll take them when they're there. Uh, Kev, yeah. good man, you've busy schedule. Thanks a million. Yeah, can I just talk to you about the goal though as well? I want to just say one well, thing before I go. Just yeah. about, I think James McLean's got a bit of criticism for that goal against Ukraine. Um, and I, I think you'd messaged me earlier on to say that David Conley had given uh, Nathan Collins criticism for the goal as well. And I've got sympathy with both, I have to say that. Um, simply because if you look at Daryl Lenehan when he picks up the ball, when we're in possession and he goes long, there's probably an option for for Lenehan to go back towards Collins, who dropped off to, to receive the pass from Lenehan, and also another option maybe to go inside 
to, I think it was Cullen, who then could have switched it out to McLean. So McLean's anticipating that. When the ball's given away, McLean actually makes up the ground to get back, but just doesn't get back far enough. And I've played in that position and it always is aging about cat and mouse. Can you influence what the opposition's going to do? Can you play the, the wrong side of him and force him back? And Yarmolenko, realistically, that's not his game. He's, he is quite lazy at times and he, he, was, he would always play up. So McLean got caught out because of that and I had sympathy for him. But I don't buy the fact is that Collins could have done more because I think he was looking to receive the path, pass. And I say if you freeze frame at times, it, it, the game does look different. But um, I think he had too much to do. And I think it was good play and it was a good, well-worked goal by Ukraine in the end, really. Yeah, um, we, we'll look forward to tracking his progress over the next, uh, next while. Kev, good man. Thanks, million. Thanks, okay. thanks, Adrian. Thanks, Colin. OTB AM. Kevin Caban in a conversation with myself and Colm there yesterday uh, reflecting all things Ireland. Now it's almost 8 o'clock you're watching OTBM delighted to have you with us this morning to keep our comments uh, coming into us. The Hockey World Cup will start in two weeks times uh, two weeks time games in Spain and Holland. Ireland are going to open up against the Dutch on July the 2nd at Amsterdam's Wagener Stadium then on to play uh, Chile three days later and Germany uh, the day after that. Five uncapped players have made the Ireland squad and one of our heroes from the 2018 World Cup uh, is back and hoping for more of the same with us in studio this morning. Roisin Upton Good morning to you. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Millie, for coming in. Delighted to be here, yeah. Uh, Germany, Holland and Chile. That's yeah. uh, That's tough. It is a tough pool. The only pool out of four to have three European teams in it. And I think the standard of hockey in Europe speaks for itself. Uh, we have the most nations competing in the World Cup. So, yeah, it's not an easy task. And as you said, we're opening up with the world champions on the first night in, mm. in what will be a packed out Wagner Stadium. So you can imagine the excitement in the squad, five new caps, 15 out of our 20 travelling players haven't been to a World Cup. Um, so everybody's buzzing at the moment. What's the chat about like uh, world champions, Olympic champions, you've played them recently and the results haven't gone your way. What's the chat about the Holland game in terms of the expectation out of it or... You know, like, yeah, like like uh, the fact that it's the opening game, you're straight into it. It's it's a tough task. I suppose we've actually been having a lot of discussion about it recently. Um, so it's our third major tournament back to back, and we're just wanting to learn all the time. You know, mm-hmm. how did we approach the World Cup in 2018 versus how we approached the Olympics um, versus now with a completely new, inexperienced group in many ways. Um, how we're going to approach it and. The only thing we've been talking about is one game at a time um, and that if we form to our ability, you don't really know what's going to happen. Um, so we're chasing performances. Um, obviously, you want results of the World Cup. You want to progress through the stages. But as you said, it's no easy task first first game against the Dutch. But, you know, I think I can count on one hand the amount of times I've played the Dutch in my career. So yeah, definitely you want to play against the best. And the f- like the fact that it's the first night almost is nearly a good thing in the sense that like they're coming cold into it, huge expectation given what they have in the bank and the fact that they're at home and it's the opening night. Yeah, you know, I suppose we'll go into this World Cup and teams won't underestimate us um, and each World Cup will have its own challenges. You know, a lot of these countries, uh, 10 out of the top 15 countries in the world are competing in a pro league year round. So they're getting that competition. Um, We're playing the World Champions opening up. Uh, You know, I think it's just going to be complete excitement. Maybe they'll underestimate us. You know, they'll look to the the Germans who they've recently played um, in the Pro League. They had two close games against them. It was 3-2 and 4-2 after the Germans were up 2-0 in one of the games. So hugely competitive there um, but yeah it's just looking to test yourselves against against the best in the world Does it feel different playing against the Dutch? Is there something different that they do? Is it just individual quality doing the simple things right or, or how does it differ from, from every other match you play? 
Yeah, I suppose every country has their own style. And with the Dutch, um, what they do looks incredibly simple. But I'd say the main thing is their ability to constantly be pre-scanning and know where they're going next. So their positioning is constantly open shoulders, looking to go forward. Um, I suppose it's very similar to soccer when you think about the best midfielders in the world constantly, you know, having 360 vision knowing where they're on next um, the Dutch will be very similar and set the standards for that whereas then you'll go into a game against the Germans who might possess the ball for 50-60 passes and you just have to be happy and loving being you know defending that's what we have to do against the Germans and then we'll get our opportunities to counter-attack and you know that's a big aspect of our game that we've been working on over the last couple of years um, that would feel more comfortable and maybe taking a couple of those opportunities whereas before we knew we were going into 60 minute battle you know sitting in our 25 um, and then the third game against or the second game against Chile is coming up against a country that we don't know a whole lot about this is their first major tournament they haven't been to an Olympics or a World Cup so similar to ourselves four years ago and are you kind of like wargaming for that Chile situation, which differs just based on rankings to the Germany and especially the, the Netherlands situation? Yeah, I suppose, you know, if we want to progress through the stages, um, beating Chile would technically be the easiest way to do it. So it's definitely a target game um, for us. And it sits nicely, I think, in our pool. We play against the Dutch and we'll have two rest days and then we'll play against Chile uh, before playing against Germany the following day. So we'll have... You know, they'll have played a game in our pool. We'll have a lot of video uh, by that stage to see what kind of styles they're playing because right now we're looking at video from, from last summer and, you know, yourselves a lot can change in a year. Uh, you're just, you were saying before, and you're just going into camp now. Today, we are. Is yeah. yeah. We're playing another series, actually. We're just back from Japan about two weeks, but we're they're coming over this way. Yeah. Um, preparing for the World Cup, they'll head on to Spain afterwards for a game test series in UCD. And you might get very familiar with Japan over the next while because you might end up getting them uh, sort of later on the tournament as well, obviously. Yeah, well, I suppose the process for how you get out of your pool is very different um, depending on where you sit. Like if you come first, you'll go straight to a quarter final. If you finish second or third, you're going into a playoff game with, I think, Pool D, um, which would be countries from Spain that would fly over and then you have playoff games. And then if you come fourth, you'll go into a bottom four playoff game um, just to see where where you match up 13th to 16th just for ranking points I was uh, listening to an interview that you gave with Nathan it was before the World Cup final in 2018 uh, last night and you were talking about the goals that you'd set out and obviously everybody understood that you'd way overshot where the goals were at Uh, you were saying we just wanted to get out of our pool and see how we went in the quarterfinals have you discussed that yet in terms of this tournament? Well, it's much the same. Yeah. You know, we're ranked 12th in the world um, and yeah, we were chasing consistency and wanting to be in these tournaments but even though other countries know us more and know more about us there isn't really any expectation you know we didn't come out of our pool last year at the Olympics so now looking at this squad we've been together this actual set squad about six weeks because there was a junior world cup in December that got postponed because of Covid and it didn't end up happening until April so a good chunk of our players five or six of those players were playing in that and then you had I suppose the likes of me and a good crew of us that had gone back to work for the last year and that were balancing you know finally getting a rest after a five-year Olympic cycle so we've come together in the last it was just pre the Japan trip to be honest Um, and we've had a really good preparation so far everybody's buzzing but in terms of um, targeting games I suppose yeah Chile is the obvious one and we'll see what we can do against the Dutch and the Germans is there a freshness to that almost in the sense that you get a bit of a breather from it the new players have come in there's obviously been some retirements does that because, like I mean, on the face of it, it's, you're looking at maybe a more inexperienced 
squad heading into it, but there's a freshness maybe to some of that as well, accentuating the positives of that almost. Yeah, you have to, I think. And it's been great in the sense that it's also pushed us who've been around for quite a while. You know, they're questioning how we do certain things. We're refining things. We're doing things a little bit differently because things can become stale. Um, I think in terms of tactics, like or yeah, in terms of tactics, in terms of you know flair, I suppose when you first come into a, squ- a squad, you're not thinking about pressure, you're not thinking about you know. I suppose when we had gone to a World Cup in 2018, we knew how special it was and how hard it was to get there. That mm-hmm. core squad had been together, and I was one of the last into it, but they'd been together for six or seven years, and now you're looking at a brand new squad that's been mm-hmm. together a couple of months. I think, as you said, with the experience we've lost from last year. It's circa 1,600 caps um, from our squad of 22, 23 going into this World Cup. Um, So with that, we just have an unbelievable amount of energy, enthusiasm and excitement. And I suppose the not overthinking that's left to us to really, you know, uh, knock home the tactics and get people up to speed as much as you can without overwhelming them and just allowing them to enjoy this. How do you ensure that the 1,600 caps don't go missing when it comes to the transition to uh, what is essentially a new squad? I suppose it's just having those conversations with um, who out of us that's that's still there. Uh, we do we have five from the World Cup a couple of years ago that competed in it, but we have you know ten or eleven that competed in the Olympics last year. And you're wondering, you know, how did we approach each game? Were we on the same page? It's it's just having all those honest conversations that we might have had before because we didn't have the opportunity to br- debrief tournament hockey. You know, it's it's quite different to soccer and rugby where you're playing back to back games. So when you're in a tournament, you're not getting to say, God, did we perform there? Or did we not? Because straight away you have to refocus. And then you go away and the tournament ends and you have a break for a couple of months and those conversations might never happen. So we've had to... You know, we've been working with our team psychologist, Mags McCarthy, in, in ensuring that we're just given as much information as we can. But at the same time, as I said, you don't want to overwhelm people. That, that's interesting because I, I guess that is like one of the huge differences, given like all your big games are in a tournament setting. I, I guess most modern playing groups in every sport are player led at the moment anyway, but I presume even more so in that setup. It's, it's very much figuring things out for yourself on a game to game basis. Yeah, I think actually in the past six weeks, it's probably been the most player led um, that I've experienced within the squad. Just because I think it's easier to have conversa- small conversations sometimes, you know, things go amiss when you're sitting in a room of 30 people and you're just talking at people. Like, do people understand it or don't they? Mm. Whereas if we're able to sit down together and look over a video for 20 minutes and you're asking me about different clips or situations, then of course that's how you're going to learn learn the most. Um, and that's probably an untapped area that we're looking to just get better at. Is your sense that the quality of this squad can be as good as the one we saw in 2018? I think so. Um, myself and Katie... Mullen, the captain, were only chatting about it recently that it would actually be very exciting if this squad got to play against the one from four years ago just right. because with our new head coach, um, he's from Australia, Sean Dancer, and he's bringing more of a, an attacking style to how we're trying to play. And, you know, don't get me wrong, we're not the Dutch or the Argentinians, but instead of just building off our defence, we're, we're hoping to hang on to the ball for longer, faces, for longer phases. You're hoping to play more than just a long ball game, actually, you know, gain a bit of territory and put other teams under pressure. Um, so I think we've added a few strings to our bow in that sense. So, yeah, it would definitely it'd be a, a good match. Who would win? 
Actually, I'd have to back the team now. <laughs> <laughs> you have no choice at the minute. That's uh, non-negotiable. And does the does because it's a similar conversation that's been happening around the Irish football team in terms of that you know trying to that play a bit of football and having that attacking yeah. thing. And like, you don't necessarily. I know, like obviously, it's been bits of criticism of the team over the last while, but they actually haven't been that bad defensively. You don't necessarily have to give up a huge amount defensively to add that attacking stuff in. Is it has it come seamlessly enough, or have you found that? If we're giving a bit more here, we're losing a bit over here and we just have to accept that. Um, I think where we might lose some defensive focus might be in training because we mightn't be doing as many defensive drills where it's chaos and, you know, it's 5v8 and you're in deep defence and, you know, there's balls being thrown everywhere and you don't have time to set up and it's unstructured. So we mightn't have focused on that as much. Um, but we're hoping that we bring that as as part of being Irish, as part of that, you know, Mm. pride in your defence. Um, so I suppose that on the flip side, yeah, we've done a lot more counter-attacking hockey. Um, you know, I suppose small-sided games in a room like this where you've, you're have you one on four and you're trying to hold on to the ball, getting your eyes up earlier, pre-scanning, mm. knowing where you're going next. Um, all those things have been really important, but I suppose you can always set your defence that little bit higher, you know, so instead of just... Uh, I suppose collapsing back into our own half, we're looking to get out and get into teams' faces a bit more and just be more aggressive. Have you found your own role? You mentioned there about like the maybe more player-driven side of it. Have you found like four years down the line that your own role or your own voice has become a little bit more like almost in you know supporting Katie? Or how have you found that? How have you found your role within the team, not in the playing side, but in the leadership bit or the speaking bit? How has that developed over the last four years? Yeah, I suppose on the pitch, I would say much the same. Um, I love to communicate and I'm sitting in a position in front of kind of a back three where it's what's known as a free man or I suppose in soccer terms a defensive centre midfielder so you're constantly trying to put out fires before they happen and communicate to people what's happening in a structural sense Um, but I suppose off the pitch definitely yeah I've probably find my voice a bit more feel a bit more confident um, just just chatting to people but I suppose I didn't have to before either you know we had a lot of strong voices we had a lot of leaders Shirley McKay the most capped player in the country across all sports you know Hannah Matthews Anne O'Flanagan Chloe Watkins we had it in abundance so my voice wasn't needed so I'm actually really enjoying that aspect now of um, of my role changing what again you, What are you doing like? It's just what you said like it's just I suppose you're trying to fill people with confidence now you're just taking more ownership on and off the pitch mm-hmm. Um we have a leadership group of four of us um, and you're just trying to share the load as much as we can and be as player driven, whether it's us setting up meetings and not being led by coaches, um, you know, coming with our own clips, debriefing. It's us, you know, setting up Zooms midweek when we aren't together in Abbottstown in camp, just trying to do all the extra things, especially in the last six weeks, because, you know, we have six weeks to prepare for a World Cup in some senses. And I know a lot of countries will actually and we've taken positives from it will be in the same boat because when you come off the back of a five year Olympic cycle you know and you've one year to prepare for a World Cup Mm -hmm. there's a lot of balls in the air and squads have changed and as I said people are going back to work and doing different things deciding will they continue retirement so um, it's been a hectic six weeks but you can imagine the excitement with 15 people going to their first World Cup. Can I, can I just ask that what you said a moment ago about you know trying to tap into that Irish thing of work ethic and putting them under pressure or whatever it may be. What, what, what do you talk about when you're having those conversations in camp when you're talking about the, the Irish attributes that you might be able to bring to, to the pitch? I suppose we're frequently talking about winning games is about not conceding goals um, you know and if we're going to concede goals then we're going to have to score more than the opposition and it's literally as simple as that so you know we know we 
aren't necessarily a, a five goal scoring team right now you know we're not going to go out and beat teams five, four or five nil but we can beat a team one nil or we can beat a team two one and you know if we're defensively resound that we need to get energy from that um, you know I suppose it's a mindset shift to feeling God we haven't had possession and the Germans will do it to you where you're under the cot for 20 minutes and you haven't got the ball back and you know you can either sink into yourselves and keep collapsing and collapsing and defending your circle and you know the pressure is loading on your shoulders but often it's perceived pressure and it's in those moments being brave and stepping out and holding your structure and gaining a lot of energy that you know you can't break us down and um, that's a big part of I think especially going against the Dutch and the Germans where goal difference will matter in our pool. So you're thinking now great we don't have uh, possession rather than oh god we don't have possession. You have to don't you because it's the reality you know if you're going to go into a game and think otherwise um, (laughs) you're going to be quite misled you know so we have to face the reality of the situation you're playing against two of the top five teams in the world the Dutch are first and Germany are fifth so um, we need to prepare and a good performance against Chile, Holland and Germany at this World Cup will look completely different. Will you speak about 2018 over the next little while or are you just like that's done we'll come back to it again and we luxuriate in that for the years to come but we let's forget about that for now or are you trying to tap into some of that spirit and bring it into the room almost uh, no I think you know that's very much retirement conversations um, I don't know if it's probably sank in for any of us until you stop playing what we achieved back then it, w- it was crazy but for now yeah it's very much just um, staying in the moment and we were flying out on Monday week so the Japanese series is very much our focus um, you know taking a few more things um taking a few more things off that we want to before we get to a World Cup Yeah, very exciting Listen, you've been really good with your time and we really appreciate you coming in at such a crucial juncture in the preparation so good luck against Japan over the next while and uh, hopefully Nathan will be chatting to you again live in the line from I don't know what it be is the final in, in Holland? Obviously it's split over a couple in of Spain, countries the In Spain, the semi-finals and finals Okay, right, okay Well, hopefully you'll be on the line to Nathan at some point before the World Cup final in a, in a few weeks' time. Thanks, Millie, for coming in. Thanks, Emil. Upton uh, from the Ireland hockey team. And as at the begin, uh, the 2022 World Cup, it's against a Holland, July 2nd, Amsterdam's uh, Wagner Stadium. We'll have much more on that over the coming weeks as well. It's a quarter past eight. You're watching OTPAM, brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Now, during the ad break upcoming, you're going to hear a highlight of our own Ashing O'Reilly's chat with Alert the Ballet Captain Mary Lacey. Uh, talks about how she started playing with her club, and it's from the very latest episode of the brilliant series the AIB Hero Interviews AIB proud sponsors of the Football Hurling and Camogie All-Ireland Club Championships and you can check out hashtag the toughest uh, for much more we're back next with the GA Quick Picks some of these critics these pundits I absolutely adore them lads I have unbelievable time from but they're, they're a great bunch but it's not acceptable I like to play the hard man when, when they're on it's not very pleasant when you're trying to manage a team all you're looking for is a bit of civility and a bit of decency but they just dismiss you like, like you know you have nothing to do with the bloody occasion Alright 20 past 8 am Friday morning quick picks Will Ashling, morning to you morning, Top of the morning lads How are we doing? Good now, not too bad. How are you? Oh, good. I think I'm um, nervy about a Talton Cup semi final between our counties, Adrian Barry. But aside from that, I'm not that nervous. Well, of course, you're not. <laughs> uh, awfully barely able to train last night due to a virus, and they've lost one of their most important players. So, this is all played nicely into Westmead's hands. We're who going, uh, get listen, Kevin Maguire back, you're, you're, and I've got a full team to pick from. 
Um, I'm not going to mention the words, Will. I'm not going to mention the words. Um, we'll come back to that game in just a few minutes' time. I don't think we've a leaderboard, have we? This thing is an absolute shambles. It is as bad as the GA, as a GA disciplinary system. It's an absolute shambles. And a bit like a GA disciplinary system, we'll make it up as we go along, but close to the time. Uh, so, on that basis, let's get straight into the hurling to begin with. Go away and get the fingers from outside, Colm. That's, that's not that's not the carry on of a Friday morning at uh, this early in the morning. Galway Cork. Yeah, but I'm sure I'm there thereabouts, Ashley. After that, I'm not. <laughs> you were at the bottom, Adrian. <laughs> I absolutely. Viewers are winning Ashley with entertainment. That's it. Uh, Tommy, <laughs> that's right. Come on, with Tommy is uh, Tommy. I think uh, okay. Gal- Galway Cork to begin with, and it's Galway for everybody apart from you, Ashley. So you better lead us off. Oh God! Right, jeez, I'm surprised with that. Right. Um, well, I, obviously, I was at the Leinster final, and I, I seen Galway that day, and. They were absolutely devastated after that. And I think the biggest thing was that they walked away and they just didn't perform. So they came away from that game knowing we actually just didn't show up. We didn't play the hurling that we know we can play. Um, and yeah, they were just shook by, I think, the physicality of Kilkenny. And they just, yeah, they, they were just way stronger on the day. Um, and I just think to bounce back from that hurt, it's going to be tough to do. When Cork, I've only seen them once now in person this year. I've seen them against Tipperary. Which I know Tipperary haven't really been at the races this year, but I just I just found that things were clicking for them. Um, Connor Dahan, I think he's unbelievable for them this year, and yeah, he's just been putting up some great scores. And I think overall, I just think there's big performances in them. It took them a while to get going, but I just feel that they they, they might edge it because of how Galway played in that Leinster final. I think it's going to be tough to to come back from that but yeah it's going to it's going to be close it was a hard one to pick but uh, yeah I, I do stick by yeah Cork doing it uh, it's and like it absolutely has one of those fixtures that could make mugs of the rest the four of the rest of us. Patrick Horgan on the bench uh, for Cork again. Well, I see uh, this morning are, there is this thing of you know there could they be better off without him? And we'll see. Does he start obviously on the day? Maybe they are better off without him. I don't know. But the absence of his name from the team sheet, if it plays out that way, almost in itself gives Galway a bit of a list a lift. Yeah. Look, I'm not entirely convinced that he won't start. He's obviously named within the matchday squad, so they could make a late change before the game at Temple Stadium tomorrow. Look, there is a strong case to say that their best hurling of the year so far has come in the last three fixtures, and they have maybe benefited since the Waterford game when Tim O'Mahony went into that inside forward line and creates a different option to Patrick Horgan. We've seen the stats throughout the championship that Conor Lahan has been getting through a remarkable amount of work and the rest of the Cork forward line, and maybe, despite the championship's best uh, strikesman of all time, the top scorer in the championship of all time. He's probably the best shooter that they have among their group, but maybe the group works better without him on the pitch. I'm still not entirely convinced that he won't start tomorrow, though. Uh, this is the toughest game of the weekend to actually call, though. Like This one is a literal yeah. 50-50. Galway have won the last four championship meetings against Cork. You can't overlook entirely, though, the way that Galway played in the length of the final, and particularly their inefficiency in front of goal. Their shooting was really poor, but this should set up nicely for Galway's physicality against this Cork team. They'll feel that they can bully them. They'll feel that there's been one poor performance in Henry Shefflin's side so far this year. They dust off what happened at Croke Park in the Leinster final, where there was some good stuff from Galway, but very poor work in front of goal, and that they can get back to form against Cork. The big worry I would have if you were back in Galway in this game is that Cork's pace and that forward unit could cause problems for Galway during the game. Ooh, this for me is an absolute coin toss, but I just got to edge towards Galway in this one to get to the semi-finals. 
It feels like it's a coin toss because it's a fixture we don't see very often in the Hurling Championship. Like you say, it's four wins on the bounce for Galway. The last of those was in 2015. So when I'm looking at this, I'm not sure does it does it feed into it too much. But for me, it was listening to Tommy Walsh during the week. And I think Tommy actually tipped Cork. But it was his analysis of Galway that got me a little bit hopeful for Galway was that he was saying that their Leinster final showing was down to inaccuracy and that with a bit more accuracy up front, a bit more of a sharp edge in attack, they would have won that game against Kilkenny. And for me, that's a thing that is not even fixable over the, the last little while, but something that could have just gone the other way for them. And they could well be Leinster champions at this moment. I do think, though, that there's like a randomness around these, these quarterfinals and it's going to be a bit of a mad game. I'd agree with Will that it's probably the hardest game of the weekend to call. But it's just that before two weeks ago, I would have said that Galway have a higher ceiling than Cork and are, and are a better team than Cork. How damaging is that defeat in Croke Park to Galway is then the question and after listening to Tommy Welch during the week I'm not entirely sure it is I think it's just that accuracy bit that they need to fix and I guess because I'm picking Galway I predict that they will fix that They need to pick, to fix their puck out as well Owen, which is the other huge problem that they had against Kilkenny I'm sure that like Aina Murphy has been working on that and the rest of the Galway management team would have been working on it for the last couple of weeks they gave away a tremendous amount of ball back to Kilkenny in their own puck outs their own puck out was very slow and that edge it kind of added a little bit to the poor shooting options that they took when they did get ball back uh, when they recovered their longer puck out. So if they can improve that, I this Galway team, I'd agree with you, probably have a higher ceiling than Cork. And with Cork, we're basing everything on recent form. But then again, recent form might be very important if they come in with a huge steam behind them in Turles tomorrow. Yeah, it's. Uh, I suppose like the the when you look at it there is definitely a case for Cork at the defeats this year in the championship but against Limerick and Clare who most people consider to be the best two teams in the country it's probably uh, you know it's maybe an un- maybe an unfair uh, stick to have beaten them with in the sense of the quality of the opposition and consistency really for both of them well isn't it like that's what we what both sets of fans are crying out for year on year from both of these team teams they just want to see a bit more consistency yeah, I think if you were a Cork supporter, you would be really concerned if the performance is something like going back to Thurlis, Waterford in the league final, and then the performance tricky second half against Limerick. They perform like that, they're in big trouble against Galway tomorrow. Similarly, if you're a Galway supporter, you're just hoping that it's one bad day in that Leinster final and that they can put all those issues behind them. I think they still have to work out some of their positions within the team. But again, if they can get Mannion firing, if they can get Conor Whelan firing, and I really did not expect that Keenan Fahey would be anywhere near the team. I thought he was going to serve a two-game ban. But mm. this is what happens when the CCCC decide to review evidence on teams as opposed to in person. And somebody in Galway was clever enough to pick up that little loophole. And eventually it's led to three players being cleared for this weekend. And perhaps even far more importantly for Clare, the fact they've got two of their key players in Peter Duggan and Rory Hayes available. It's absolutely bonkers. We'll move on to that game now that you mention it. Uh, Clare against Wexford. Here's how we've gone. And let's have a look now and see. We're going to come to that in a second. I suspect that it's... Um, and Claire it is Claire the across the board. Uh, yeah, Claire I mean, for everybody. Uh, unanimous. Well, sorry, no. Like it's not always unanimous things that blow up in our faces, but it generally is. But I think I think that <laughs> I think that like, uh, like the only sort of slight caveat is maybe for Claire with the like I said, they they probably are considered to be the second best team in the country at the minute. The per, perhaps actually the the slight emotional come down almost from having run Limerick so close the last day, and maybe the physical come down of obviously it going all the way into extra time and all that. Like maybe that's the one caveat. But like we talked about, the ceiling of Cork and Galway, the ceiling of these two teams is vastly different. Yeah, I do think it's going to be a lot closer than we think. And uh, we talked to Tommy Walsh the week, me and Owen, and. 
he actually thought that Claire, you know, trying to bounce back from this will be ex- extremely tough for them. When I didn't really think it would be as tough because I think that they're, they're definitely the most second most informed team maybe all year so far. And I think they'll be raring to get back out there and put up another big performance and show that they, they should be going a lot further this year. You know, this shouldn't be where they, they drop out and, I didn't think at all that they would be coming off the back of a loss and it'll be tough for them when Tommy was really concerned um, in, in that way that, you know, it would be tough for them. I think that the hurling that they played all year, um, they're a brilliant, brilliant team. It's been gr- brilliant to see them really come into their potential. And yeah, the only thing with Wexford is, look, they, they are so dangerous when they get going. When you see the likes of Leach and Conor McDonald link up inside, they're very dangerous to stop. But now you're seeing Claire getting the likes of Peter Doug and Rory Hayes up, like successful um, appeal their bands as well so they have this boost again coming in so it's a tough one to call I do, I do think it's going to be a lot closer than we think but uh, yeah I do think that, that Claire will definitely edge it Are you having the closeness Will or what, what's your prediction of uh, points difference here? I would have thought it would have been a lot closer if the two lads were suspended yeah. as opposed to cleared midweek um, look Damien Reck has obviously got a very important detailing job to do on Tony Kelly we expect tomorrow afternoon if he can try and keep Tony Kelly anyway quiet at all, Wexford will be able to keep that scoreline a lot closer than they will if Tony Kelly is uh, running around and gets the freedom of Semple Stadium as we saw in the Munster final. Uh, like, I don't know, it's a huge boost for Claire to have the two guys back. I don't buy the idea that psychologically they're going to have any issues coming back from the Munster final. I think, if anything, they might be enamoured from the fact that they've been able to keep uh, Limerick level on three different occasions after 70 minutes this season. And, OK, extra time ran away from them a little bit. I think Limerick had some superior options from the bench, but it wasn't down to anything blowing up in Claire's face or anything like that. They took that game right to the wire in Semple in the Munster final. I think they've had enough of a break to come back. Wexford, if they're going to look for positives, Lee Chin has come in and has improved their free-taking and he's been free-scoring the last couple of games. They performed when the back was up against the wall against Kilkenny and everyone was probably tipping against them going into that fixture. So they're probably coming in under the radar and they'll feel like they can go and give this a right good battle. They've got to get Rory O'Connor into the game. They've got to get Conor McDonald firing. A lot has to go right for Wexford for this to be close, I think. And I'd be very, very surprised if it's not Clare going to an All-Ireland semi-final. Is there a different dynamic here, I wonder? Like, just to try and, you know, temper our expectations here on Clare a little bit, even though we've all tipped them. So is there just a different dynamic about Clare now, playing Wexford, a team that they are heavily favoured to beat, compared to literally every game in Munster, where, not that they came from nowhere to come second in Munster, but most people wouldn't have had them in their top three. So it's not just the Limerick games where they had this sort of fighting underdog chance. It kind of felt like every game that Clare went into, they had this sort of underdog mentality. Now that things have shifted considerably where they are expected to put on a performance this weekend and expected to beat Wexford by a few points, I just wonder how that might actually factor into their performance this weekend. Also, when we're assessing Clare... Are Clare the second best team in the country or are Clare actually just the number one team when it comes to beating or potentially beating Limerick? Mm -hmm. I think those are two very different things. Now, in fairness, if you come second in Munster, you're probably going to be close to being the second best team in Ireland anyway. The table doesn't lie, to to use that old cliche. But just those two things are are giving me a little bit of cause for concern. Like reading David Fitz's column this week as well, he says that it's been given the prime fixture in Thurles this weekend because the Chiefs realise that this is actually going to be the best game of the weekend. And... I'm not sure. Like I always get nervous when I see a unanimous pick in these picnics. Uh, yeah. But uh, those those two factors are are in the back of my head. But again, those are intangibles. And when you look at the actual things you can you can quantify, you have to back Claire for this. 
Um, it is the perfectly valid question as to whether they're more suited to play Limerick versus a Kilkenny or a Galway, and we'll 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 see uh, we'll see about that certain this weekend. Uh, right, let's move on to the football, and um, we're going to move into the Talented Cup semi-finals, obviously, and we're going to kick off at Westmead Offaly. Sorry, we're going to kick off at Sligo Cavan, and uh, it's Cavan across the board here, Ashling. I don't know what case there is to be made for uh, for Sligo here. Uh, you, you're not feeling this one's going to be close, are you? Not really. I know it's like when they bet London, then they went on to beat Leitrim then in the, the quarterfinal, that penalty shootout. And then Calvin, obviously, we know they, they bet down and then for Manus. So the only concern is that at the moment, Calvin haven't been tested other than coming off, say, um, the, their Ulster games. So that's my only concern that in this last few few games, they haven't been tested. So is there a bit of complacency going to slip in there? But I think overall, if you, if you look at the team, I think Calvin are a hell of a lot stronger I think at the very start of the Talton Cup, I, I definitely tip them to go the whole way. But um, I do think the Sligo, they're, they're the up-and-coming team for sure. They put on some really good performances, that Leitrim game in particular. Um, it was a brilliant game. So I do think it, it can be close, but I think if Cavan show up, play how we know they can play, I don't think it's uh, it's going to be too close in the end. But yeah, yeah, I know I'm going to say the Cavan are going to win well. Over to the stronger side of the draw and Westmead and Offaly uh, going at it this weekend and it's uh, Westmead across the board here. Will is obviously playing a bit of uh, you know yourself and uh, trying to... I knew you'd accuse me of this. <laughs> I didn't say anything. I didn't say anything. No, but like... like look, hours ago so I was like you were, I'm going to be accused of some kind of I, double I, I'm one. with you. I'm totally with you on the points you're making in terms of... Like I've seen a good bit of Westmead this year and um, from the sideline and they've been really impressive in patches and games. Honestly, like I think I've seen patches of them against... Uh, Longford for example down in Mullingar where they played for 20 minutes of the second half of the first half and if they were to play like that against any other team in Leinster any other team in Leinster they would genuinely give them a good run for their money but we talked about consistency earlier on um, there's loads of quality around the team um, Wallace uh, Luke Lachlan and he hasn't play- started every game Heslin clearly Sam McCartan has come on a lot uh, Ray Canellan on his day when those players are, are firing and going well and they've obviously a couple of players back this week genuinely when I've seen them up close they've looked so impressive but they just also have the tendency to just disappear out of games for, for long periods of time uh, they'd long for that beating out the gap and suddenly just almost um, packed it in to the point that the game became somewhat competitive after that so it's just on that basis it's obviously the factors that you mentioned uh, Will in terms of um, the couple of really unfortunate injuries picked up in the Offaly camp during the week and the virus I think I'd absolutely go with you it was a fairly 50-50 game up to that but you'd have to lean towards Westmead on the basis of that yeah, I think I'd agree with you. I mean, it's contrasting fortunes when it comes to the injuries. So, Offaly have been incredibly unlucky with injury, particularly with the Wexford game away from home in the Leinster Championship. It seemed that some of them were just starting to clear up. And then it was confirmed that John Furlong's injury was worse than first feared. So, he's going to be out for six months. And then 15 minutes later, in the middle of a drill, Niall Darby, very experienced and important player for the team, uh, goes over on his knee. And unfortunately, he's ruptured ligaments in his anterior cruciate in his knee. So, it may well be the end of his intercounty career. Although, Jack the Westmead manager who would have managed him for four years at club level with Road uh, is convinced that he'll be back for next season that he won't want the disappointment of uh, missing out on the opportunity of playing in a huge game in Crow Park to be left behind won't want his career to end uh, with an injury as opposed to on the pitch on his own terms like this is intriguing we're talking about Damien Reck against Tony Kelly like it's going to be probably Johnny Maloney the Offaly captain up against Westmead's marquee forward in John Heslin Westmead have got some very important players back from injury in recent weeks like Jamie uh, James Dolan I should 
should say. Uh, they've also got Jerry Egan fit this year, Kieran Martin fit this year. Mm-hmm. Last year, kind of injuries that caught up with Westmead a little bit in the championship. This time round, uh, it seems that they're just clearing up at the right time. Kevin Maguire coming back from suspension is totally key because he's going to be the guy who's going to be detailed on Niall McNamee at the far end. And the last time against Carlo, Westmead really struggled when direct ball was put into the forward line. Carlo caused lots of problems for them, despite the fact that Westmead won that game quite comfortably. So, mm. awfully, you've got firepower in their inside forward line. They've got a very unique situation where Niall McNamee is going to play at full forward. And you've got two guys who are less than one year old when he made his championship debut playing either side in Jack Bryant and Keith O'Neill. So that speaks to the longevity of Niall McNamee, the current top scorer in the Talton Cup. So yeah. I think it would have given Offaly a lot more hope if Niall Darby had been fit and if this week hadn't been as disruptive as it was. But the last few times that Offaly and Westmead have played, Adrian, as you well know, it's been incredibly close. None of them have been classics. I'm not expecting this one to be particularly open in Crow Park at the weekend. But for Offaly, first time since 2014 they've played a championship match in Crow Park I think Westmead's Crow Park experience as much as Jack Cooney was playing it down when I was chatting to him in Crow Park yesterday has to be a factor too like it's only a few weeks ago they played Kildare there yeah. they've been regularly going to semi-finals got to a couple of Leinster finals there a lot of their panel have got experience of playing there by comparison to Offaly last time they went to Crow Park they got hammered by Derry in a Division 3 final last year I'm sure we'll be we doffed the cap to John Mahan earlier on and the job that he's done there and he's got a very smart back uh, backroom staff uh, some big names and some lesser names and they're they're cooking along nicely and I'm sure they've been looking at that game and Westmead were also susceptible to that um, quick ball into the full forward line against Kildare really probably e- probably as well Adrian John Mahan's last year so it's going to be intriguing to is see is it will yeah is that I think so. I, I think that's the feeling at the moment. Now, look, if he wins the Talton Cup, he's got a very strong argument if he goes to Michael Dyden and says he wants another year. Has he uh, not got a strong case anyway? I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, disappointment with the relegation from Division 2 the yeah. league this year. Um, Talton Cup run has been decent, but the caveat would have to be that Offaly have had a very favourable draw to get Wexford, Wicklow and New York for this run to the semi-final. It's been Division 4 opposition across the board for a team who were operating at Division 2. Whether it's Declan Kelly, whether it's Tomas O'Shea that takes over the team next year kind of remains to be seen, but it kind of feels like Tomas O'Shea is definitely being set up to be part of the management team for next season. But I think Demond's great credit. He's used 9 of the under-20 from last year it would have been very easy when you go into the final year of your term to say I'm going to use the players I have available and the 20s can be eased in he's mm. actually developed quite a few players this season even if not every offensive supporter entirely agrees with the style of football that they play or whatever else I think uh, generally this has been a pretty positive year for Offaly and hopefully I'm going far more hope than expectation they might get two days in Crow Park as opposed to one What do you think of Ashing? is it close or what are you thinking? I'm surprised by that John Mohan news I think he's doing a, a great job in there and it feels like he's building so and as, as Will said about the 20s coming up as well I think it's really exciting times for Offaly football and as you've all said already like it would have been so different if you know Offaly didn't have the massive blow especially of, of Niall Derby that's really sad news to hear that because it's extremely tough at that age to, to get an injury like that and yeah to be knowing that you're going out to Crow Park to play in a semi-final just yeah, really tough for him. Um, but yeah, hopefully we'll see him back. But yeah, on, on the basis of that, then you look at Westmead and you see, look, they even got the, the likes of Kevin Maguire back in there. So they were getting a boost that way. So yeah, I think that Westmead will edge it. But uh, yeah, it would have been a totally different game, I think, if Offaly didn't have the, the injuries and the virus as well. I think it would have been totally different. Yeah, like the factors of Westmead being more familiar with Crow Park is something we discussed earlier on. I think that their performance against Kildare 
wasn't perfect when he were close to it a few weeks ago but it was a 2.15 they scored in that game it was a very good offensive performance when you talk about it not being a classic will I think that if it does turn into a classic I think uh, Westmead will win this game uh, if it's tighter I'm not as confident in them but I've still backed them um, I think the Croke Park factor is actually probably more intriguing for the other game on Sunday Sligo against Cavan did I read somewhere that one of the Sligo players has never even been to Croke Park let alone oh playing in Croke Park <laughs> so th- there's like definitely more of a, a novelty about that fixture and more of a novelty about Croke Park in that and also uh, we've got a Daffar cap to Tony McEntee who as a non-Kerry man has done and performed the era of the year I would say uh, he says that um, we played down in a challenge match and lost by five or six points so there is still that gulf between ourselves and Cavan Cavan are probably a Division 2 team and we're a strong Division 4 team so that's mm-hmm. exactly how you motivate your team to, to, to go in as, as underdogs on Sunday and, and maybe Sligo will do something special yeah, he used that exact line with me as well, Owen, yesterday. So obviously right, he, okay. he's uh, well he practiced. Had planned before he went in, yeah. Yeah, a couple of crackers on the TV, and uh, we. Will... How have you never been to Crow Park? That is that's crazy. mad, isn't it? It's like it's a long way from Dublin, and not not too many opportunities to to go there during the year. So I think another uh, good yeah. start in the championship games just before we finish up, lads. Niall Murphy has obviously been long serving for Sligo. Again, I was chatting to Tony McIntyre yesterday. He was saying he's going to play five championship games this summer. He's played 15 championship games in his entire career. So it just goes to show the benefit of the Talton Cup to provide more games for counties like Sligo, who generally have been going out in the first round of the qualifiers in recent years. Yeah, it's win-win. Fair play, Will Ashing. Thanks, William. Thanks, lads. Cheers, lads. That's Quick Picks. I absolutely adore them, lads. I have unbelievable time from, but they're, they're a great bunch, but it's not acceptable. Uh, 20 to 9 Friday morning you're watching OTPAM we're delighted to have you uh, with us and thanks a for uh, tuning in we are brought to you live <clears throat> each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day and do uh, if you have any comments uh, about what it is we're chatting about this morning or anything else in relation to the sport please uh, do keep them coming into us um, and uh, one comment here says that we the South African teams don't care about your beloved Leinster uh, in relation to uh, one of the oh. YouTube commenters not my beloved Leinster somebody else's beloved yeah, Leinster geez. just to clarify that on it's a sickening blow for you on a Friday morning isn't it it. Sickening. Um, join us at the Silken Thomas in Kildare Town on June 21st. It's next week. We're going to be looking ahead to the Dubai Judy Free Irish Derby Festival at the Curra Race Course. We're going to be chatting to Irish Derby legends Michael Canaan, Johnny Murta, and Shami Heffernan for an in depth Irish Derby discussion and analysis and what it takes uh, from horse and jockey to win that iconic race. You'll have Johnny Ward and John Duggan for company as well. What more would you want? Uh, you can go to otbsports.com uh, and see our social channels as well for how to get involved in all of that. And uh, it's next week and it's in uh, Kildare Town. It's Tuesday night um, and it'll be marking your card ahead of the Irish Derby. So, sure. What more would you want? Right, it is uh, 8.43. You're watching OTBAM. We still have SKG on the URC. Stephen Kisby-Green in a couple of moments' time is going to mark a card uh, for the rugby at the weekend. Not that interesting, the URC final. Um, well, Stephen is going to change your mind on that, or at least that was certainly the plan when we pitched together this item. So that is to come. We're also going to have a live crappy quiz a little bit after that. It's going to be uh, myself against Arthur, against JD. And I can only really see it going one, one direction. I presume we've got a lot of weird rounds again on that don't make huge amount of sense even after they've been done mm-hmm. even like writing it was just a fever dream so get ready buckle up everybody buckle up SKG and the URC Stephen Kisby Green come on in how's it going lads good morning to think beautiful Friday morning our uh, resident South African rugby nerd fair enough 
Yeah, I was uh, looking forward to the uh, to the to the weekend's rugby. So Stormers against Bulls tomorrow evening, and uh, I've already put it on record a little bit earlier on that it's not a game I'm planning to watch. Uh, it was. It's definitely disappointing that um, Ulster and Leinster. What are you laughing about? <laughs> I don't know. It's just like so disrespectful. Like, I mean, I'm already in Stephen. If, th- if this is a debate between you and Stephen about the importance of this game, I'm already go- rooting against you for the way you like. <laughs> this, I'm just being honest. Like, okay. I'm just being honest. I, there's not no showmanship about that. I generally, genuinely, have no plans to watch the game. It is disappointing, of course, that there wasn't uh, an Ulster or a Leinster in the final where you'd have that bit of a vested interest. I wish you said this earlier in the week because like, that could have been put to both of the head coaches in the press conferences and they might have just been like just, well there's no point playing this if Adrian I'd Barry of Cheeseboard fame is not hoots. watching us they could give two hoots as to what I or anybody else at this side of the water thinks but no, reg- no, no Adrian Barry and his Cheeseboard tuning in to watch a, a, six, a 6.30 kickoff it which was happen. it'd be ideal time for a Cheeseboard deliberately pushed back so that Adrian Barry could watch <laughs> it at the particular time it's slashing with the US Open as well I'm adding that caveat as to why I'm not going to be watching but you're going to convince us why three reasons well, SKG, let's go. It, it's going to be the probably one of the best games of the series of the season. Uh, it's two completely different st- uh, styles of South African rugby. Um, there's the, 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 this sort of um, ongoing narrative that all South African teams play the same rugby. It's uh, up the guts. It's one-out runners. It's uh, boring. It's this and the next thing. Stormers have kind of proven that wrong entirely all season. They've been exciting. They've been uh, um, attack-minded, and they've got a lot of. Uh, Sort of wide-ranging um, skills in 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 their side. Uh, the Bulls are a lot a, a lot like what you'd expect from the South African side. So it's going to be what we hoped Leinster versus the Bulls was um, supposed to be last week. It's going to be that, but but a bit better. Um, so reason number one is it's probably going to be the best game of the season. So I'm already I'm not with you. That's I'm not having that. It could go either way. It could be it's going to be wet. It could be a desperate game. What's so. the best URC game of the season so far then? And what's the what's the barometer? Leinster's thumping of Glasgow was it in the what did the that is game? Is, what a classic. <laughs> you cannot tell me that you enjoyed that pathetic. Ex- of course I did. did. Why? Because you're a Leinster supporter. Yeah. Like honestly, that is the opposite of what good rugby is. When a team thrashes a team seventy odd nil, it or seventy odd fourteen or whatever it was, I can't remember what the cricket score. That to me is the opposite of good, exciting, watchable rugby. So the, it's going to be close. It's going to be in the trenches. It's going to be back and forth. There's going to no team is going to get away from one another. Yeah, it's going to be wet and miserable. But so is so is Connacht. So you can, are you saying that every... <laughs> so is Connacht generally wet and miserable. Wow. Jesus, like, I thought I was the leading contender here for uh, having a lash off Connacht, but SKG have just moved swiftly into number one there. Anyway, I'm not having that number, number one reason. I'm not having it. it. It might be the best game of the season. I'm not having it. We'll judge that after the game. Number two, what have we got? Number two, it's going to be a true, a true representation of the, the chaos, the crack that South African fans will have. Um, basically, it's going to advertise the raucousness of, of South African stadiums. Cape Town is one of the best sort of party atmospheres in terms of a stadium, even though it's at seven, at seven thirty at night on a, in in the middle of winter. Um, it's still going to be a, a good party atmosphere. It's sold out to the capacity that they are allowed to sell it out. It's still fifty percent capacity in South Africa stadiums. So that's a little bit disappointing that they, they didn't uh, increase it to full full capacity. But the the, the 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 match itself is sold out. It'll be a good advertisement to show um, Irish fans what you can expect. Going over to a South African uh, 
to, to an away match uh, in, in South Africa. I mean, that, uh, I'm sure yourself as, uh, as the anti-South African in the, in the room hmm. have, are one of the few that um, have said that you, you, don't want, you, you would never travel to South Africa for, for a rugby match unless it's like a tour of, of like an international. But um, the, the, the costs are minimal. Um, the, the, only, the most expensive thing is the flight. Everything else in South Africa, when you, when you think of the Euros, is cheap. Um, and this is going to be like the 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 per, like this time next year, if a South African final is if it's a, if, if South Africa are hosting Leinster, I fully expect a huge portion of prawn sandwich brigade people to be out and in in, in in full force in in Pretoria or or Durban or Cape Town. And I I'm fully but, sure that we're I'm actually sharing a, a studio with one of those people, Stephen. No, no, I, I thought Adrian was with a cheese board, not a, not a prawn sandwich. Um, oh, he will take whatever is put in front of him. I think that, uh, absolutely, SKG, you're sort of luring us in here with a bit of these sort of suckering us up with some of these little soft punches and with the last blow you're going to knock us out because I have to say, a full stadium, Morocco Stadium, I, I, that is absolutely not going to turn me away from the US Open to turn this game on. So you're zero from two for me so far. Knock us out with your last punch. I uh, probably won't in- entice you with this last one. Uh, it's the, the 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 Connacht fans seem to hate you too. <laughs> the the um, Jake White is probably the most hated man in in Connacht at the moment, purely because of his uh, mm. his imbe- imbecile comments at the beginning of the season. And it'll just be great to, to try and watch his team lose. Um, I do think if anybody's going to beat the the the, the Bulls in, in a final, it will be the Stormers. Their their, their style of rugby is the way to beat them. Um, so, I mean, for, for those of you that don't really remember what uh, Jake White said at the beginning, he was so, sort of saying that uh, Connacht have a lot of Leinster guys that come down from Leinster because they didn't get a contract up there. Uh, they, they, they go down there. It's a small, it's a small franchise. Um, the, 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 the players like um, Mac Hansen would go to to try and make, uh, make themselves noticed by the big franchises, the big provinces. So, uh, yeah, he, he basically kind of called, called Connacht the, the smallest province in, in, in Ireland. And uh, yeah, it'll be it'll just be good to see him uh, uh, him get his, his comeuppance. Also, a lot, a lot of South African fans don't like the Bulls. Um, in fact, they're they're the only they're the only South African team that, unless you're a Bulls supporter, you just don't want them to win. I I think that last point is probably the thing that turns this for Adrian because of course Adrian was working as an agent for Jake White not so long ago trying to get Mac Hansen to move to a different province in fact I think it was uh, you know he, he had heard Adrian privately saying that Mac Hansen should move to Munster that was what prompted Jake White to make his disgusting comments at the start of the year so so I'm with you on that Adrian I'm sure you're, you're interested I, I should also say at this point that if Leinster are back in a URC final next season and like you glorified it like hold on a minute actually you were the guy who tweeted being like this is possibly the greatest team of all time ever at a Pro 14 final before, but, at, a, at a Pro 14 yeah, final yeah. which is essentially the URC final and now you won't even watch the URC final so you can't, sure, you can't have your cheese board needed too ridiculous sure. like you can't compare like the team that, if you monster are involved in the final at the weekend are you watching the URC final this weekend I, I think after this item well, I certainly will be watching do you know this. I have to say SKG you do, you do have me with the last one because I owe debt to uh, Connick fans so I'll be there supporting um, uh, on that basis but um, no I mean that's you don't watch a game just because it's the game you watch the game because if your team might be involved or like, are you watching the Super Rugby final tomorrow morning? Am I watching my? No. The Super Rugby final tomorrow morning. I'll be out coaching. I won't have time for that. I mean, fair. It's 8 o'clock kickoff. Irish fans should definitely watch that because Ireland's heading off to, to New Zealand next week, in two weeks. Yeah. Next week. 
and the majority of the All Black squad are busy playing against each other tomorrow. So it'll be a good test to see where that where that's coming from. But just as a rugby supporter, you should be one. I mean, the more rugby is on your TV, the more you should want to watch it. No, I'm with it's you, just, SKG. I'm, just, I'm with you. You just haven't uh, bowled me over entirely for this one. It'll be the sort of game that if it's close and it's tight, as you are promising that it will be, and that it's become a game of the season, as it develops, I may flip from the having it on the smaller screen to the bigger screen. I think oh, that's probably goodness. that's probably the most I can promise at this stage. There's certainly going to be no cheese board out, and we'll um, we'll just see how we are, get on. Are cheese boards a thing in South Africa, Stephen? Uh, cheese and wine, yeah. Best wine in the world. Mm-hmm. Do you like? Do you have an embargo on South African wine in your house, Adrian? No, there's no embargo on any fried, well, maybe, maybe a couple of countries, um, <laughs> any wine in my house. If it's in a bottle and it's red, in you come. Yeah. Uh, yeah. SKG, you're off out to the uh, cricket this morning. I am, yeah, heading off to Klanta after see the uh, see Proteus take on Ireland. Unfortunately, Ireland can't do anything to win the series. It's uh, already 2 0 to South Africa. But um, yeah, it'll be good. The weather's not doing too well. Um, to, there's going to be a bit of a rain delay, I think. But um, no, no, it's going to be a good day out. Okay, good man. Well, listen, enjoy, enjoy the rugby over the weekend. It looks like the bin lorry's outside, so make sure your bins are out. Good man. Well done, SKG on the URC final, and uh, we'll see if all those um, prophecies have come to uh, fruition when we pour over it on Monday. Like, I mean, isn't that the truest? How, how long will you spend talking to Quinny about the game on Monday? I don't know. Very little, I would imagine. I will make that decision yeah, on Monday morning. Very little. I don't know how much we will spend. Just uh, another weird Adrian Barry agenda to start your Friday morning. What? That uh, I just won't watch the game. I, I'm just I, being I, honest I about it. I, I'd like. I'll, there'll be loads of comments coming in now, going, "Oh, you're this, that, and the other." I'm just being honest. I won't watch the game. I have no plans to watch it anyway. Well, enjoy your enjoy your time free of the URC. Um, or I'll, have, I'll second screen it maybe more to the point right uh, 8.53 Friday morning OTBAM we're going to be previewing by the way the 150th edition of the Irish uh, Life National Irish Life Health National Track and Field Championships are going to take place at the Morton Stadium June 25th and 26th uh, this year's championship can see a host of Olympians and recent record breaking athletes back in action as they battle it out at the World and European Championship qualification uh, tickets are available now you just go along to athleticsireland.ie and we're going to be previewing um that 150th celebration of the championships with a very special Saturday panel uh, John Duggan is going to be hosting that tomorrow it'll be on your radios uh, from 1 o'clock tomorrow so do stay tuned for that time to turn back to the rugby Alan Quinlan good morning to you morning lads how are you how are you keeping I'm good thanks down yourselves you're flying so- solo this week so you're happier you've got the airtime to yourself uh, um, I know it'd be lovely to have him on again, Rog. So <laughs> what? It's always good to have him on. He was a bit grumpy last week, wasn't he? Well, we made Matt him a bit said, grumpy. We made him a bit yeah, grumpy. What? Um, I don't know if you caught any of the conversation we were just having. But we're going to get into in a couple of moments' time, so stay tuned, everybody who's still got no interest in the URC final. Uh, Quinny is going to pick his team that he thinks should start the first test against New Zealand. But before that, will you? Uh, you will. Wa- will you watch the URC final this weekend? Yeah, I will. Um, I'll, I'll be. It'll be interesting to see. See who wins that, and uh, I'll definitely watch it. Yeah, I think um, Evan Ruiz, who plays number eight for 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 the Stormers, um, he's been absolutely fantastic. So there's a few players in there I definitely keep an interest on, and um, Elric Lowe, brilliant. Marcel Cutsey for the Bulls. Um, it was interesting what Stephen was saying to you there. I know he's, he was slagging you there, but interesting to say that the Bulls were. If you're not a Bulls fan in South Africa, you don't like them. Mm. Um, I, I was really I found that interesting I didn't know that 
Um, but it should be a good final, I think. Um, I was trying to think who'd win it. Um, obviously, the way the Stormers play, it's a bit more expansive and it's more attacking. But given the continuity and the the cohesion that the Bulls have had in the last while, I think I'd fancy them to probably win it, but I'll definitely watch it. All right. We've uh, asked you to come on this morning and pick out your 15 that you think is going to start or that you feel should start uh, the first test against New Zealand at Eden Park on the 2nd of July. And so we'll get straight into it. Do you want to kick us off with your... I've made my 15 as well, so we can compare, contrast, debate, all of the above as we go through it here. Do you want to, Where do you want to start? Oh, start us uh, in the forwards, I suppose, yeah. The front row probably picks itself, really, doesn't it? If you're, if you're particularly for that first test, Andrew Porter, um, Dan Sheehan, Tyg Furlong, mm. that'd be the, the front row, which is be no surprise to anyone. I think there's a couple of, you know, in the second row. Um, although James Ryan hasn't hit the the heights that he did, obviously a few years ago when he came on the scene, um, he's a very important player for Ireland. I think. Uh, He's 43 caps now. And um, Ian Henderson, um, who's come back from a couple of injuries, I'd pick the two of them. Um, people will probably say, well, why aren't you picking Tyburn? Basically because Tyburn hasn't played in a number of months since the end of the Six Nations. So um, even though he's probably up to speed, doing a lot of conditioning and, and fitness training the last couple of weeks, he was very close to playing for 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 Munster against Ulster in that that um, quarter final, um, I'd I'd start Henderson and James Ryan in the second row. What and in um, the back row then? Stall on a second there. I better I, stop. I'm with you on the front row, and I've gone for Byrne instead of Ryan in the second row. So we're saying it's Ryan plus one. You're saying there's a little bit of match fitness. Uh, possibly and, and maybe he can work some of that out with the the Maori game, obviously in advance. What um, what are the key? When, when you know Andy Farland's coaching team are sitting down, Paul O'Connell is making the case for um, Henderson or Byrne. What are the points of difference? Um, I think form is one of them. It's, it's probably an obvious one. The way Ty Byrne has played um, for Ireland and for Munster, uh, being on the Lions tour last summer, I think he's taken his game to uh, to a different level. Um, he's very composed in everything he does. Obviously, his big strength is. His athletic ability, ball carrying, um, reading of the game, his breakdown work. So, you know, the, the, he's not a big, big second row. And uh, we've been crying, we're crying out for one for mm. for a long time. But he's a very, very effective one. You know, he's such a brilliant footballer. He can play in the back row as well. And I would start. I would be. I want to make this clear. If Ty Byrne is playing matches, yes, I would be starting Ty Byrne at, at the first second row. Um, the reason I would say is just maybe down to match fitness. So you're probably splitting hairs there. So there's every chance that he will start. Um, and I think with with the three of them fit and available, I think um, you have good, uh, real good options. Mm-hmm. Obviously, to bring one off the bench, whether it's it's Henderson or Byrne. Um, James Ryan hasn't been really in that position. He's more of a starter when he's been available in the last couple of years, but. Um, look, hopefully they're all enthused and fresh and ready to go when 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 that first test comes about. Um, but you know, Burn brings incredible dynamism and and energy and and his footballing ability around the field. I think Henderson obviously has a lot of qualities at the breakdown as well. And if there was any criticism at any stage that I've ever had against Ian Henderson, it's just that aggression and mm. physicality and a bit of nastiness that we you would want. He's a big physical player. 
Um, and I think James Ryan, obviously, you know, has he burst onto the scene that everybody knows about. I think he's a really intelligent footballer um, and just hasn't kind of hit the same heights, which is understandable for lots of players who burst onto the scene. It's hard to maintain that. But he's still a top quality player and he's he's still very, very young and has um, loads of ability and and obviously is Captain Ireland a number of times, Captain Leinster. And I think he's he's a top quality player as well. Give us your back row. Then you're splitting hairs. You could put a man in there given the season he's had. But yeah. um, I think, see, I'm kind of thinking what, what will Ireland pick and what will I pick? Um, we want again, your very Yeah, look, I'd probably go with Doris Conan and, and Van der Fleer given the, you know, that they're so used to playing with each other and they complement each other as well. Um, the the other option, again, there's n- nothing really in this for Peter Omani to start at six and Caelan Doris to to play at eight and Josh van der Fleer obviously starts at seven. So um, the team that, that, that I went for was Conan, van der Fleer and Doris again with you know, the ability to have a Matt, Peter O'Mahony coming off the bench is, is brilliant. But again, no issue whatsoever if Peter O'Mahony would start at six because I think he has had a really, really good season for Munster. He's been very consistent in his performances. Um, but um, the Leinster trio probably... You know, so used to playing each other, and that's probably the, the back row that I'd start with for the first test. Yeah, I've gone with the same back row. A couple of comments coming into us here that I'll just put to you before we move on to your uh, picks across the back. Danny Mack says that Ryan's living off, uh, James Ryan living off 2018 form for a long time now. It, it's a very harsh criticism, but does speak to the point that you're saying that we have expected James Ryan to kick on to another level, haven't we? And we, I suppose, look at this summer, it'd be a great opportunity to see that, but we just haven't seen. Uh, consistent evidence of that just yet? Probably not. Um, and we've seen, we've seen, you know, the obviously the concussion he had in the Six Nations against England puts him out for a few months. I think he was out pre-Christmas as well. Um, so we haven't, you know, and it's hard. And I'm sure James Ryan is working incredibly hard to have the same sort of impacts in games. Again, he's not, you know, we, we kind of don't want to label any of these guys because, um, James Ryan is a brilliant footballer. I think the timing of the carries and the way he could run onto the ball and wriggle through very tight space um, to, to to get over the game line was incredibly impressive. But when you're 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 disrupted and you can't get a run of games, it's hard to find that form. So um, I, James Ryan is a big game player that I have no issue putting out in big games, and I still believe that he can get back to that level and hopefully, you know. On this tour, if if Ireland are to win a test, they'll obviously need eight, maybe nines out of tens from the vast majority of players, and and James Ryan is capable of that. But look, what Danny Mac is saying there is, it's not totally untrue, um, because we haven't seen that consistent level of performance from James. Yeah, and Andrew Garrity, to be fair, says that he feels sorry for James Ryan. The concussions have really impacted his form, which is in your point. And uh, Thomas Gray saying that he feels that over the last uh, 12 to 18 months of its picked on form, he feels it's Byrne and Henderson in the second row. So that's just a couple could, of comments. Could be true as well, yeah. That yeah. could be the case as well. Give us, uh, get into the backs first. Um, again, yeah, it's, they're pretty obvious really, aren't they? Gibson Park starts at nine, six and a ten. Um, and then again you're kind of I just think with the way Robbie Henshaw he's a bit like Ty Bourne isn't he I know he's not a lot of rugby play this season because he didn't 
he did he had an injury pre-christmas as well um i just think he's he's someone that you've got to put on your team sheet um given the impact and the quality that he has can and I ask you on that, Quinny? Sorry to interrupt just for a second, because obviously he was. I, I, we, I don't know if we still fully got to the reason as to why he was left out some of the big games in the Six Nations. Do you think is there still a question? Because I would feel very similar to you, and I think I think a lot of people would that he's one of the first names on the team sheet. It looks as if the coaching ticket maybe aren't as convinced as that. Yeah, I don't know, but it, you know he had injury. Had a, was it a knee injury? He had um, prior, yeah. And again, um, you know, probably some of the bangs and knocks and niggles that these players have now, they, they, they don't kind of reveal them anymore. So um, I just think the thing that kind of tips it in the balance for me, and, and Bundyaki is a brilliant player as well, and I think he's someone who's such a strong character, Bundyaki, um, that he'd be really important, and I'm sure he'll start one of the tests in New Zealand. They may play together. Um, that experiment probably happened a few years ago on a couple of occasions where Henshaw and, and Bundyaki play together. Um I think you have to have Gary Ringrose in there if you if it you know if you want to attack um his silky skills and his evasive running um are really important to the attack as well. And um but I think Robbie Henshaw he's the thing that kind of tips it for me over over Bundy at times is is just his work rate. Um, and his decision making and his defensive work and his ability to just keep cur- turning up, carry and making those carries as well. So um, very little in it. I think James Hume yeah. would come into the equation for 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 maybe one of the tests, and maybe he's closer to you know to to Gary Ringrose now than than we've seen having an outside centre who has that ability to step and take people on when you get the ball in their hands. Um, if you were looking no for, for, a, for a surprise call, Quinny, like a, a selection that might surprise everybody, that could possibly be one. It could happen, yeah, it could happen. But, you know, if you're if you're expecting Gary Ringrose or James Hume to to unlock a New Zealand defence by giving them the ball pretty... I think maybe I'm wrong because I didn't play in the backs, but I think for me... Um, Gary Ringrose or James Hume or that type of player try and get the ball in their hands as early as possible as quickly as possible and let them run on people particularly early in the game um, and I think uh, you know they're wonderfully talented players but you know New Zealand will have a few decent ones as well yeah. so um, very small margins in these games but um, bar the end of the season with the with the with Ulster and Leinster and the disappointment of that, I think uh, they can look back on a lot of positive uh, elements of their attacking game in the Six Nations. Yeah, I'd have uh, gone for Henshaw and, a- Henshaw and Aki there. Give us your back three then before we wrap it. Uh, Hugo Keenan, a full back. Yeah. Uh, no debate there. James Lowe on the left wing. And again, the right wing now, you're kind of, again, you could go with, you know, you could go with Keith Earls, Jordan Larmer. Um, I probably picked Mac Hansen now because of his involvement in the Six Nations and the way he's played this year with Connacht. Um, again, they've struggled. Uh, Keith Earls is someone who, you know, has so much experience and been there and done that so many times. He was on this tour in 2012, um, but just probably uh, the form of Hansen this year. Um, in a side that was struggled a fair bit in the URC, let's be honest. I just think he's a brilliant footballer and the impact he made in the Six Nations. So there's there's a number of positions there you could pick other people that are, you know might maybe down to perception or the way they train. 
um, and the form they're in or their mentality in the next couple of weeks in training before that first test. Um, so I think Jordan Larmer has come back so strong this year and it's great to see. Um, and as I said, Keith Earls could, could play there and, and be brilliant as well. But I think... Yeah. You know, it's Keenan McHanson and uh, James Lowe for I've, me. I've put Earls in, Keenan Earls and Lowe. Just one very briefly before we... What, what? No, I, I put him in, I'm putting him in for experience and other reasons that I... He's an absolute quality. Look, Quinny said it's a, a cigarette paper, I think, between himself and Hanson anyway, and I just put him in for that bit of experience. The old dog for the hard road on quality player. Just give one question before we go. A quick answer, if you don't mind, Quinny. Just the likes of James O'Brien... James, uh, Jimmy O'Brien, James Hume that we've mentioned, even Carberry to a degree. Are any of those going to see starting test time? Um, I think they have a really good chance, yeah. I think Jimmy O'Brien could start in the wing. Um, Carberry should start a test. Um, and James Hume should probably start a test if they're serious. You know, if he's if he's a serious candidate to go to the World Cup and, and there's no point in him having, having him there unless we have a look at him now. It's a very difficult tour. It'd be it'd be better if you were going to uh, somewhere else. Um, it's it's a really tough task, but I think they should all start. Yes. Okay. Good man. Enjoy the games over the weekend. Catch up with you next week. Cheers, lad. Thanks. Thanks Alan. And uh, one comment in here about the atmosphere at um, Emerald Ninety. There'd be a better atmosphere in South Africa than anything at Crow Park on Sunday, which I think is um, fair enough. Uh, can argue with that at all uh, right it's uh, 10 minutes past 9 you're watching OTB AM and we're live with you obviously every uh, morning by uh, brought to you by Jeanette Labs for an effortless finish to your day here's what's coming up on OTB Sports Radio over the course of the day OTB Gold uh, from 1 o'clock where Joe catches up at Ruby Walsh Friday Night Racing live at 3 Team uh, 33 uh, legend today from 4 is Mark Kinsler and an Irish football special on OTB Gold with uh, Given Quinn and McAteer alongside Caban from 6 you can follow off the ball across our social channels don't forget to subscribe if you're watching us on YouTube this morning subscribe to the channel uh, and download as well the OTB Sports app for the very latest and best in sports content and analysis we're going to be back after the break it's the return of the crappy quiz first of all Stephanie Roach chatting to Off the Ball last night about what it means to be back in the Ireland squad Stephanie back in the squad after three years what was it like when Vera confirmed the news to you? Um, it was all quite last minute to be honest uh, we were training home based training on Tuesday night and before the squad we, or before the match we knew there was going to be a place available so it was a case of just doing your best in the game and then see what happened afterwards and obviously we trained then Wednesday morning so it was a quick turnaround but um, I was absolutely over the moon rang my dad straight away and he was like I'll meet you tomorrow for a coffee and I was like eh, I'm not going to be here tomorrow I'm going straight away and it was all as I said a bit of a whirlwind but absolutely delighted to be called back in Yeah and Obviously, if in your own situation, it's not as if you've been out of the, the loop because you've been working as a pundit on these games and you're as close to the action as possible. So when you're in that situation, did you ever think, I, I might not get back in? Or were you always, Vera did mention yesterday that, you know, this was down to your hard work that you, you got the call up again. Yeah, well, definitely. Obviously, it's been what, three years, as you said. It um, doesn't actually feel that long, to be honest, because I've obviously been part of the home base sessions and working hard to kind of get my form back with P-Mount and kind of focusing on other stuff and that will probably get me this opportunity again, you know, that way and about working hard and training with the boys and kind of, I think in my own mind, I always felt I had something to offer. I feel like I'd be quite an honest person. If I felt I didn't, I would have probably walked away. Um, but going to the home base sessions and, and obviously seeing how well the girls were doing and working on the matches and, and being part of it in a different way, obviously, um, kind of gave me that bit of 
I suppose desire just to get back in and get um, involved again because I was part of the squad for for over what, ten years or so. So when I, I I knew what it felt like to be there and obviously being out of the loop for quite a while was disappointing. But I always felt there was a chance. And um, Vera always spoke to me. We always had chats and. As I said, we had the home base sessions quite a lot and I felt I'd done quite well in the home base sessions quite a few times. So for me, I felt like I wasn't far off it and it was just about kind of working hard and keeping myself ready for when the moment did come where I got the ch- chance to come in. Chris Martin. Oh, you're kidding me. September. Kyle Lafferty. Are you no! joking me? Is that right? I know. Is that right? Uh, anybody else? Like that is one of the most stupid questions. Darius Vassell? Seriously, you all need to just stay quiet. This is getting really annoying doing this quiz. What is going on here? (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome along to the shoutiest segment at Irish Radio. It's the scintillating, it's the stupefying, it's the splendido crappy quiz. Every Friday we pit three of team off the ball up against each other in our no-holds-barred quiz of sporting factoids at the end of the week. Allow me to welcome today's contestants. Our first contestant sent a video to Leo Cullen last Friday of him pouring half a bottle of Merlot down the sink and tossing a cheese board into a nearby skip. These are the consequences for Leinster's latest defeats, and the province better know they've let everyone down. Give it up for the Athlone Bone, Adrian, who's your daddy, Barry? It's probably good for my overall health, I will say. Too many of those cheese boards on and all the trimmings, as I had for the um, Hiding Cup final, not good for your health. Yeah, well, uh, new season, new me potentially for Adrian next year. Our next contestant is going straight from Croke Park to the tattoo parlour on Sunday to get the words of sailing to Byzantium tattooed to his chest. Sligomania is about to hit fever pitch. The Talton Cup is coming home. Give it up for Arthur PhD. Morning, lads. Thanks for joining us. And our final contestant is going to transform into the bowler Peter Weber if Patrick Cantlay ever wins a major. Who do you think you are? I am. He will scream from his virtual <laughs> insanity tower. Give it up for John Duggan, a.k.a. Don Juggan. Uh, the, the, the introductions are the best bit, aren't they, of this thing? Uh, Cantlay out of it? I'm not going to just die yet. I'll probably die. I'll die. I'll hopefully win the crappy quiz and then I'll just die my sword somewhere else. Uh, as ever, the format is a classic crappy quiz with a series of questions on a range of themes and then it's onto the slip and slide of trivia, which is the rapid fire round. You can podcast the crappy quiz on otbsports.com or on the OTB Sports app. And if you're watching on YouTube, a thumbs up would be lovely. You can send any questions you have via postcard to crappy quiz quiz master off the ball towers, Marconi House, Diggs Lane, Dublin 2. Round one is the boring questions round, never multiple choice. Adrian, can you name the last team not called Bulls to beat Leinster in a knockout game in the URC slash Pro 14 slash Pro 12? The answer to that question is probably always the Ospreys, but hang about, hang about. Um, knockout game in the URC. It's hardly. I go with Connacht. No, they lost the year after that. Ospreys probably was it? Uh, it wasn't the year after that. Scarlets was the, the the team that last beat them. Uh, yeah, not the Ospreys or Connacht. Arthur, only two teams made it to two Tommy Murphy Cup finals during the competition's short existence. Can you name either county? Oh. Um, Clare. No, unfortunately not. Sligo got one of them, no? No, Sligo got the one. Wicklow, one of them? Wicklow's one, and Antrim was the other. Mm. John, 
Shane Lowry finished in a tie for a second when Dustin Johnson won the US Open at Oakmont in 2016. Can you tell me either of the golfers Lowry tied with in second place that weekend? Oh my God. Nicholas Fast? No, not Nicholas Fast. Jonas Blix, wasn't it? Yeah. It's not Jonas Blix. No? Uh, Jim Furyk and Scott Piercy. There you go. Uh, round two it's nil 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 as we move into round two which is the Wikipedia list round this game is simple I will list from Wikipedia in order from first to last the clubs a footballer has played for and all you have to do is guess the footballer in question the first person to do so will win the point there is one major rule to avoid the complete carnage of a guessing free-for-all each contestant must state their own name before guessing a player of course this is the crappy quiz so your names are your crappy quiz nicknames we have OPHD, we have Don Juggan, and we have Who's Your Daddy? I will accept Athlone Bone either. It's oh, up to wow. you, Adrian. Failure to, failure to uh, list your name, your correct name, will eliminate the contestant from that particular round of the quiz, and you get one guess per club named. Are you ready? Okay, let's go. Question two for whoever shouts your name first. Um, the first player started their senior professional career with Crystal Palace. Athlone Bone? Yeah. Clinton Morrison? No. He then went to Arsenal. He the then, PhD. Yeah. Doctor. Ian Wright. Correct. Oh, PhD is off the mark. The next one. <laughs> Our second player started their senior professional career with Telstar. He then moved to AZ Alkmaar. He then, your daddy? Yeah. Um... Patrick Clivert. Not Patrick Clivert, <laughs> no. He then moved to Nurlandia. He then moved to Campo Mayor Enze, which I've just butchered. He then moved to Boa Vista before moving to Leeds United. Uh, he then moved... Who's your daddy? Yeah. Eric Cantona. No. <laughs> he then moved to Atletico Madrid. He then moved to... Oh, uh, what PhD? Yeah. Jimmy Floyd Hasselman. Correct. Oh, wow. He's got it this. And finally... Our last player started a senior senior professional career with Blackburn Rovers. He then went on loan to Swindon Town. Who's your daddy? Yeah. Chris Sutton? No. He then went on loan to Sunderland before moving to Newcastle United. Who's your daddy? Yeah. Craig Bellamy? No. He then moved to Manchester City before moving to Aston Villa. He then went on loan... Don Juggan Brad Friedel no no he then went on loan to Middlesbrough and then finished his career at Stoke City no don't know nothing <laughs> what Colin is saying in uh, in uh, my year uh, good question that, that was it that was the whole point uh, the answer is Shea Given Swindon Town oh well uh, round three Arthur is 2 nil nil up round three is the past the parcel of doom round and this round all you got to do is give me the name that is on a list of names and the parcel of doom passes on to the next contestant who then also has to give me a name we will keep moving through the list until one of you gives me an incorrect answer at which point that person will be eliminated when two players are gone the last player gets the point Adrian you can kick us off on this one can you name a manager who managed Chelsea during the Roman Abramovich era um, Mourinho Correct. It goes to uh, Arthur next. Oh, sorry. Um, Carlo Ancelotti. Yeah. Uh, Rafael Benitez. Correct. Claudio Ranieri. Correct. Uh, 
I'd have assumed this counts Gus Hiddink. Gus Hiddink does count, yeah, correct. Uh, Roberto Di Matteo. Di Matteo. Uh, Conte. Conte is correct. Thomas Tuchel. Thomas Tuchel, spot on. Um, uh, Andre Vizbos. Andre Vizbos, yep. Frank Lampard. Frank Lampard. Avram Grant. Avram Grant is correct. Uh, Luis Felipe Scolari. Luis Felipe Scolari. How many more left? One. Oh, you are fucking joking. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, Shout out to uh, Baza, by the way, who uh, messaged me the suggestion on Twitter to do this one. Um, it's a caretaker, is it? I'm not, there's, there's no caretakers on this list. Oh, well, intense music. I was like, who's tapping the desk? Like, what is happening? Are my eardrums bursting out of my head? What is Adrian thinking? Look at him staring into the middle distance. What cheeses are going to have now? Um, Come on. Oh, Give us an answer. Come on. Oh, I'm going to be kicking myself, but I just don't know. You just don't know. So you're out. The Parcel of Doom passes on to Arthur. <sighs> That's tough. I, I, I'm not going to hold everyone up. I can't think. can't think of anyone. John? No, I don't know. No, okay, so we're not going to give out any points there. Maurizio Sarri. Uh, ah, of course. <sighs> oh, wow. Arthur, you can kick us off this one. Can you name a winner of the Hurler of the Year All-Star this century? Uh, Keane Lynch. Keane Lynch is correct. On it twice. It goes to John next. Tommy Walsh. Tommy Walsh is also correct. Henry. Yeah. The other... Uh, TJ. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, sorry, that is correct. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, Arthur. That's all right. John. Um, Tommy Dunn. Tommy Dunn is correct. Uh, Joe Canning. Joe Canning. Uh, Gerard Hegarty. Gerard Hegarty is also correct. Uh, Tony Kelly. Tony Kelly is correct. Um, Connor Whelan. Connor Whelan did not win Hurler of the Year. Adrian is out. Moves on to Arthur. Austin Gleeson. Austin Gleeson is correct. DJ Carey. DJ Carey is also correct. Ah, oh, Christ. Um, oh. Notable hurling oh. man, Arthur O'Dee. Michael Fenley. Michael Fenley is correct. JJ Delaney. Yes, correct. Owen Kelly? No, you're out. Sean O'Gahalpine? Sean O'Gahalpine, John gets the point. The remaining ones were Seamus Callanan, Lark Corbett, Richie Hogan, Owen Larkin, Jerry O'Connor, and Dan the Man Shanahan. Mm. John, yeah. kick us off. Can you name a non European team that will compete at this year's World Cup in Qatar? Qatar? Correct. Uh, it goes to Adrian next. Uh, Canada. Canada is correct. Uh, USA. Yeah. Costa Rica. That's correct. 
Um, Australia. Correct. Uh, Brazil. Yeah. Argentina. Correct. Um, <laughs> she just ratchets up another notch. Um, <laughs> Chile. No, Chile did not make it to this year's World Cup. You're gone. You're done. Arthur. Uh, Senegal. Senegal. Morocco. Morocco are there. Uh, Uruguay. Uruguay are there. Iran. Iran are there. <laughs> Ghana. Ghana are there. Ecuador. Ecuador are at the World Cup, yes. Oh, there can't be many more from South America. Um, there are six countries. Colombia. Colombia is not correct. Colombia did not make this year's World Cup. John Duggan. Japan. Japan is correct. John Duggan is tied it up at the top of the leaderboard. The remaining countries were Cameroon, Mexico, Saudi Arabia, South Korea and Tunisia. Round four is the fun-free magic number round. Contestants get three points for getting the number exactly right in this round. If no one manages that, the nearest contestant who doesn't go bust gets two points. The second closest gets one point. I'm going to state that we can only accept the answer that's written on your paper and I'm going to have to ask for your pens once the music ends. So if you don't mind, give us the following number. The number of NBA titles Steph Curry has now won plus the number of times Rory McIlroy has won the US Open, plus the number of total All-Irelands won by Galway in football, plus the number of total All-Irelands won by Galway in hurling. Your 30 seconds expire with Sinatra Singh's Bright Shiny Beads. So how many NBA rings does Steph Curry have? How many times has Rory McIlroy won the US Open? How many All-Irelands have Galway won in football? And then how many hurling on Ireland's have they won? Bubbles, bangles, hear how they jing jing a Bubbles, bangles. Everybody's got their answers down. We'll go to the man on Skype first. Arthur, what have you got? 21. 21. Adrian? 16. 16. John? 17. 17. John Duggan is closest. The answer is 19. Uh, and Adrian, you got one point for that. So, John, you're up to four points. Adrian, you're now on one point. Arthur, you're in second place on two points. So, let's go through these. Steph Curry has now won four and NBA four, titles. Yeah. Uh, for Rory McIlroy has won the US Open once. Galway have won the All-Ireland in football nine times. And Galway have won the All-Ireland in hurling five times. So, where did you overshoot the runway, Arthur? I wasn't that bad. I think I did. I got the Steph Curry right... McElroy 2 instead of 1 and Galway footballers 10 instead of 9 okay. trying to get 2 on the money uh, we are into the final uh, it is uh, no theme in particular ridiculously easy rapid fire round so the score you get in this round will be added to your score from the previous rounds there's going to be 40 seconds for everyone to answer from the same set of questions we'll start with John then go to Arthur then go to Adrian if you get a question correct I'll keep asking you questions until you get one wrong and once you get a question wrong I'll move on to the next person and your incorrect answer also means the deduction of one point. So, what is the you got one point for a correct answer? Yeah. Okay. A minus one for an incorrect one. Don Juggan, you ready to go? Yes. Your forty seconds starts now. Who finished bottom of the Munster hurling championship this year? Tipperary. Correct. Who lost this year's UEFA Conference League final? It was um, uh, too long. No, too long. Feyenoord. Arthur. Who won last year's US Open in golf? John Ram. Correct. Stephanie Roche plays for what club? 
team out. Correct. Australia beat what country in a playoff this week to qualify for the World Cup? Uh, Peru. Correct. What club did Burnley sign Nathan Collins from? Stoke. Correct. Name Joe Canning's club. Portumna. Correct. Who was the French Open women's tennis champion? Svayatek. Go. Yes. Uh, well done, Arthur. Oh, Arthur. Well done. Well done, Arthur. But One, I have to two, say, they were all three, tapping. Four, five, six. They were. Which brings you to eight. John says put on four. Undone by the Conference League final, unfortunately, John. Well done, Arthur. A handy All Ireland, Arthur, but listen, a win's a win. Came from behind, Arthur, <laughs> uh, with his PhD. Two from two. You still feeling it for Phil Egan? Oh, well, I mean, I'm waiting for him, but, uh, like, I don't know, like, it's, he's not been forthcoming. <laughs> you think he's dodging Arthur? I mean, on the evidence of it. Well, he beat the last... round, I remember. You've beaten a titan of uh, the crappy quiz this morning, ah, so... Uh, don't, I, don't be giving me too much. Yeah. Come on. That's Lumbone is a good nickname. I prefer that one to get yeah, Lumbone in, uh, in third place. You got the bronze medal at least. John in second place. Our winner Thanks, uh, today was uh, Arthur O.D. OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. We're back on Monday from half past seven. Nathan will be in alongside myself where we'll have the Gillette Labs performance rankings. Anthony Moyles in studio. We'll have rugby analysis and of course some uh, hurling analysis from uh, tomorrow night's double header. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. 